Hey everyone, welcome to episode 179 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. How's it going? You know, pretty good. I had a pretty relaxing day today, and I got to spend a lot of it scrolling through call time spoilers. That's good. I spent some of it doing that, too. I spent a lot of it power washing the floor of my shed <laughs> in preparation for laying down some rubber flooring and turning it into a gym. But, that, you know, that felt good to get done. Did you get it all done today? Well, I got the power washing done, but, yeah, you know, easy. I have 800 pounds of rubber flooring to roll out and put down. So <laughs> that's step two. It's, you know, a, a multi-day process. It is. I had to have to let the floor dry out because I don't want a bunch of mushrooms growing under my rubber floor. So... Or whatever would grow on wet concrete under a rubber floor. Who knows? Uh, some sort of mold, definitely, right? Something gross. Anyways, should we uh, talk about all these Kaldheim cards? Do a little set review, top five list kind of thing? Yeah, how do you want to break this down? So, uh, I think that the way that we have been doing it is pretty good. I have come up with my top five in each color. And then also top five multicolored cards. And then top five colorless cards that's always a question of how to break down like that end of the spectrum and i assume you have done the same yep and it's weird too because there, there's so many more multicolor cards that are actually much better than i thought yeah and like the sagas all have a lot of text so that means that some of them are really really good yeah i well i'll talk to that when i get to them but the multicolored cards in the set really surprised me yeah, there's there's a lot of good ones, and I think that that is where a lot of the power level of the set seems to lie. And especially going through like the first three colors, like like white, blue, and black, I felt like we were really missing some number of like playable cards in a Magic: The Gathering expansion. Like we were pretty low on them, and and I think that's because a lot of the power level is in the multicolored cards. Yeah, going it's just going in Wooburg order. It's like. All right, white, okay, blue, uh, black. Is the whole set going to be like this? And then you get to red and gray, and you're like, oh, yeah, this yeah. is the stuff. <laughs> it, it, like, ramps up exactly in that order. Like, white is just, like, kind of garbage. Blue has a couple interesting cards. Black, it starts to get better. And then red and green are like, okay, like, here's here's where the money's at. I, I actually think white is better in the set than blue, personally. But yeah. I, I found the cards pretty boring, and somebody pointed out that, like, all of the white mythics are just, like, Avacyn restored cards with the foretell mechanic on it. Instead, instead of, of miracle, miracle, yeah. Yeah. I saw that, too. It was pretty funny. <laughs> so that's a bad sign. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind that as much. As yeah. long as the mechanic is, like, fun to play with, mm-hmm. and the previous cards were fun to play with like why not reprint them with some new stuff like you know people are gonna like them yeah that's true do you want to start with your top five white cards sure i'll I'll start all right so we're going five to one right of course anyone who does a a a list in the opposite order is an absolute like that is list making heresy all right i'll preface some of my list making with some of these i'm like kind of speculative on because i want I want to believe that some of these can, can do well. Yeah, I've got, especially in white, I've got a couple of those on my list. 
So that leads me into my number five for white, which is Redain, God of the Worthy. Okay. It's a 2w2-3 legendary god with flying and vigilance. Snowlands, your opponent's control, into the battlefield tapped. Non-creature spells, your opponent's cast with converted mana cost four or greater, cost two more to cast. And the backside is an artifact. It's a Valkmira Protector Shield, a 3W legendary artifact. If a source of opponent controls but deal damage to you or permanent you control, prevent one of that damage. And whenever you or another permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless that controller pays one. Mm-hmm. Whew, that was a lot of words. Okay, so. <laughs> I think this card is, like, pretty weak. But it has a lot of text on it. Like, so much text on it. I don't think the card is that good. But because it has so much text on it... How can it not find a spot doing something? Yeah, even if Snowlands aren't everywhere. Because most of the snow cards in the set are not very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Its existence alone prevents people from kind of snow bluffing. So if people ever try to do that or try to get like small value of snow out of their deck, like by playing Frost Strike or something like that, the red bolt, mm-hmm. this card can actually be somewhat of a worthy inclusion to get those people. And it's like a fine body. It's not great. A 2-3 flying for three with Vigilance is okay. Not yeah. that good. I mean, it's not a terrible stat line. Like three mana is a is a nice sweet spot in a like Blood Chief's Thirst you know, metagame where just like it's hard to get this for at, at, it's hard to kill this at like a huge mana advantage uh, and three toughness is, is good too. I mean, it's not it's not incredible, but you know. But to me, it's kind of like a faux Gadok Teague mm-hmm. where you can play it and it prevents your opponents from wrathing you. Yeah. Not later in the game because it's just a double tax instead of Gadok Teague is you just, you just can't do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but doom scar i think is the name of the white wrath and that's a five mana card uh it costs three to foretell but it still taxes it up to five mana for foretell mm-hmm. if this is in play which could be really useful for any white aggressive deck yeah and i think the back half is while the backup mode of the card the front half is kind of the one you want to play mm-hmm. yeah but when the, it's good it's it's pretty good the fact that it dominates the board the Volcomira Protector Shield mm-hmm. by reducing all the damage your permanents take, your creatures take, is yeah. kind of huge. I've played with that effect in Limited, and it is so hard to beat. Yeah, Cumberstone. Yes. Whenever you play a matchup where Volk, uh, Redain, the god, isn't very good, and you end up just playing Volcomira in like a creature matchup, mm-hmm. the artifact is going to be so huge if you're ever just trying to win in combat, because it just does that by itself. Yeah. Yeah, I I could see it. Keep in mind, it doesn't the the damage prevention does not work if they have a questing beast in play. So don't don't fall into that particular trap. But yeah, I mean this card I don't think is incredible, but it's got enough text on it and two sides that probably there there will be some stuff that it does. My list from here on out is kind of boring to be honest. White didn't have the deepest of cards to pick from. Sure. But number four is Usher of the Fallen, which is. A white mana Savannah Lines, it's white mana 2-1, Spirit Warrior, which has Boast. Uh, one in white to create a 1-1 one, one white human warrior creature token, and Boast you can only activate once per turn if it's attacked. 
So you, you can even attack with this and activate it. Then if it dies in combat, you still get the ability. You don't have to wait until after combat to mm -hmm. use it. This card is just a solid aggressive card. That's, it, yeah. If you want to play any white aggro deck for some reason, like green or red, it's not doing it for you. You want to play white. This card's got your back because it's it does everything you want. Sure, and it's nice that they it shares a creature type with the token. A lot of like creatures that generate tokens, especially in white, seem to like not share creature types between the two, so it can be hard to synergize. But here, if you've got warrior synergies, both this and the token are warriors and you know even if it's just that you're running the the creature type glorious anthem from the new set and you're naming warrior like this is the best one job for if that is what you're doing so yeah, there's definitely something i mean this is just one of the better savannah lions we've seen in a long time so it's totally fine yeah the best part about this card being previewed is someone tweeted this i think it was maybe dom harvey who, you know, whenever Savannah Lion gets previewed, all the cube owners are just super excited because they get to figure out which of their seven other Savannah Lions are worse. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to, you know, maybe we can build a cube without Savannah Lions in it. Nope. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Number three is a card I, I quite like, but I'm not sure if it makes the mark. It's Resplendent Marshall. Uh, one white white for three three with flying. It's an angel warrior. When Resplendent Marshal enters the battlefield or dies, you can exile another creature card from your graveyard. And when you do, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control, other than Resplendent Marshal, that shares a creature type with the exiled card. So it's kind of a a good curve filler slash anthem for any white aggro deck. It's kind of like Loxodon. Probably the name of the convoke one, venerated Loxodon. Venerated Loxodon, yeah. It, it's kind of like that to me, where you know it's obviously much, much worse because venerated Loxodon costs one mana. But this card does fly, and it's a good body, and you get it two ways. You get it coming and going. Yeah, I, I think there's enough here, uh, especially given the warrior creature type too. Like if there's a warrior deck, like you know you you want to be a tribal deck to make this thing work. This has a tribe that it looks like they're planting the seeds for a white aggressive deck that is doing that stuff. I, I think there's something here. It's a lot of power and toughness for three mana. There's also a warrior lord in the previous set in Zendikar. Mm -hmm. It was the red-white draft uncommon that just I never took in draft. <laughs> right. But that's just but a it, three mana, three, three, that gives you guys plus one, plus one, right? Isn't that... Yeah, it's just a warrior lord. I thought it was yeah. a two mana one, but it's we can figure it out later. But it's just like a, there's seated warriors in the previous sets mm -hmm. to go along with like the warrior stuff they're doing. Yeah, I was just looking up Conclave Mentor to see its creature types. Unfortunately, that's a centaur cleric, so not a lot of overlap with this angel and very difficult to build a tribal deck that is a well i mean i guess clerics are a tribe but probably not one that's trying to do plus one plus one counter stuff well i mean isn't the uh the one in a white one one that at the beginning of combat puts a plus one counter on your that guy is a cleric. That's, that's a cleric true. right that's this, true even though resplendent marshal itself is a warrior it can't get the creature types or right. it can't get the counters it's, so its types only matter for your other creature type synergies not its own so yeah, I don't know. That's kind of cute. I mean, probably bad, but kind of cute. It's like something to look out for. You don't have to be pigeonholed into warriors or angels, I guess. And you can company into this angel. 
like if that's a historic thing if you're trying to play a counters deck like you can company into this thing i don't know there's something it also works pretty well with usher of the fallen too because it does need something in the graveyard to eat before mm -hmm. you get your anthem effect right and usher of the fallen rewards you from suiciding it into their board sure yeah there, there's a lot of power and toughness in this card it's it's probably gonna find some stuff to do Number four I had was Glorious Protector. Well, this, this is, is your a... number two, right? Oh, yeah. Number... <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> number three is so easy. It's the... <laughs> it's, it's always the... three. Yeah. Both ways. Okay, number two then. It's Glorious mm -hmm. Protector. Uh, it's a two white white, three four, Angel Cleric with Flash and Flying. Uh, when Glorious Protector ends the battlefield, you can exile any number of non-angel creatures you control until Glorious Protector leaves the battlefield. And it's got Foretell for two and a white. This is kind of like, but not really at all, Restoration Angel. It's a 4-mana 3-4 with Flash and Flying that exiles some stuff of yours that brings it back when this dies instead of immediately, which is much worse. It's a lot worse than Restoration Angel. But it's still a fine card. It's you got 4-mana for a 3-4 Flash Flying body, and if you ever played in the standard when Restoration was legal... Uh, even when they didn't have the Thragtusk stuff going, which was utter nonsense, it was kind of difficult to play around a 3-4 Flash Flyer. Because <laughs> you, you just couldn't attack a bunch of times because they would eat your guy. That's true. Creatures are a little bit beefier these days, I feel like. Yeah, we're, we're topping out now at Questing Bees instead of like Insect Elaboration. Right. So it, it may be true that this is not quite up to its predecessor's pedigree mm -hmm. and i'm not sure how much foretell changes that now that after we were talking about resplendent marshall i actually really like that card more than this one but it, this card's probably solid i like how it still it keeps the non-angel clause mostly i think to tie it to resto angel because since this is a death trigger to bring the stuff back there aren't like you can't get caught in accidental like draw the game loops with this thing even if it could exile other angels well, so. you, you could because it's not a death trigger it's just a it stops trigger well like it, it it needs to be on the battlefield so if you have two of these right that you can just keep oh, okay yeah, each other right. forever yeah yeah I guess so it's not just right. a callback it like has a it actually yeah it would be it would screw things up if you well yeah i guess it would just be like a gain infinite life combo with the two because it's may yeah yeah, so I, probably a good inclusion on that card. I'm going to move right on past this now to go to number one. This card actually is super duper like. Yeah. Uh, it's Doomscar. Probably like one of the better cards in the entire set. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a three white white sorcery with destroy all creatures. It's just a wrath. But it's got foretell for one white white. So you, if you foretell it on turn two to exile it face down you can then play it on turn three or any turn after that which is really really strong for any kind of wrath effect yeah. because there's so many times where four mana rats are good like we know shadow sky is great uh but you're also pressured to kind of have the wrath then in there and this card if it's in your opener you get to foretell it onto a lot of the times control decks most of the time you're doing is a uh omen of the sea to set up your lands so you can play your wrath on time. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this, this one has you can built in. Yeah, this one you can still do that, and you can foretell it on three, or even four, because you don't always want to wrath on turn three. 
But if you wrath on turn three on the draw, that's usually very good. Mm-hmm. If you have to, if you're on the play instead and you don't want to wrath on turn three, that's fine. On turn four, you can cast this for three mana, then play a tap land, which is just not an option you had with a four mana variant like Shadow Sky. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the best Wrath we've seen in a long time. I think it is better than Shadow of the Sky. I think that it compares favorably to just straight-up Wrath of God. There are spots where this is just a better card. And, uh, yeah, it just does a lot of stuff. The Foretell on this card just plays out really nicely because if I'm going to Wrath on turn 3 or maybe turn 4, I don't really want to do stuff with my mana. Like, I don't want to cast a removal spell before I cast a Wrath. I don't want to cast a creature. So foretelling this, like, curves really nicely and do exactly what you want to be doing, which is just, here, I found a place to put my mana. Here, I'll cast this cheap Wrath. If I had to do it on turn three, then awesome. Like, that's a huge benefit of the card. If I ended up Wrathing on, like, turn five, maybe I get to then, like, use that two mana to do something else on this turn. Or Yeah, hold up an Essence Scatter or a uh, yeah. another foretell card, even. Exactly, yeah. So I, this card's just really awesome. It's it's extremely good. It's probably the best wrath we've seen since Day of Judgment. Yeah, I, I think so. I think pretty easily. And, and it's not flashy or anything, but it is really good. Yeah, I, and if you had the choice between this and Day of Judgment, like there are times that you would choose this, like a lot of the time, I think. I think most of the time I would choose this. Like yeah. the benefit of Day of Judgment over this card is that if you just don't have it in your hand mm-hmm. and you need to Wrath on turn four, you can top deck Day of Judgment and you can't top deck this. Right. But the chances of that happening are low enough compared to the upside of having it in your first eight cards that it's it doesn't, like this card just kind of shine, outshines it. Yep, I agree completely. So for my five white cards, uh, I am starting out. My number five is also, I have Resplendent Marshall on my list. I just, you know, kind of simple. A lot of, lot of power and toughness on one three mana card. I wish I put that card number two now that I was talking it up. I didn't realize it triggered twice when I initially made this list. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely pretty strong. I mean, I've got it all the way down at number five, but that's mostly just because I don't have a lot of confidence in white creature decks. I mean, these yeah, days, of course, because they just don't seem to put all of the pieces there. There's always like two good cards and then the supporting cast is like, oh, God, I keep drawing these cards. It, so. It's like white gets two fine, like two fine cards, one good card per set. Mm-hmm. And green just gets four insane cards per set. Yes, that is pretty much how it is. And something that I very specifically noticed while like I, I felt like I had to scrape in the white cards to get five and green. I was just like, how do I? I want to talk about all of these cards. So uh, my number four white card is Clarion Spirit. This is definitely kind of a speculative pick, but this is one in a white for a 2-2 spirit. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. Just the upfront investment on this is quite small. 1-1 flying tokens are, are really good. I don't know how often you can trigger this i don't know how many like ops and stuff you can actually put in a deck to make this work but this is a low enough cost and a high enough payoff for doing a lot of cantripping or whatever and plays really well with any sort of anthem effects i mean pumping one one flying tokens is super super powerful i don't know how many anthem effect decks 
are going to be double spelling a lot, so that may not be a thing. This may be more of like a standalone threat in a deck that has a lot of like cantrips and cheap things and stuff like that. But there's there's something here that I think is pretty cool. It, it's like shades of Hero of Precinct 1 to me, and people went absolutely nuts over that card. And I would kind of rather fill my deck with cheap spells and intend to like cast multiple on a turn than fill my deck with multicolored spells, usually. So there's something here. I wouldn't compare it to Hero of Precinct 1 personally. I would more compare it to Young Pyromancer. Mm-hmm. Because with Hero of Precinct 1, you're really just like every card you cast from then on is supposed to give you a little bit of value mm-hmm. uh, whereas pyromancer has the same kind of effect but you because it keys off of like specific things and sort of sorceries you really want to draw into more of them so a lot of them are cantrips you just like want to keep drawing stuff mm-hmm. this one's even worse than young pyromancer like obviously i'm not trying to compare it to a, a good token maker yeah uh, but because you have to cast two spells two of anything it doesn't matter what they are uh that's gonna require a lot of cardboard and uh, it's really unlucky that this card's in white instead of like blue or red Mm -hmm. because it's really hard to get that sort of density of card flow in a partially white deck yeah yeah i mean i agree one neat thing is that it is cheap and it counts as your first spell for its own effect so if you cast it and then you cast a one mana spell you get the token uh, and that sequence helps make it something that you want to put in your deck. I don't know that this goes anywhere, but there's, I, I think it could be useful. Yeah, if there's, I don't know how many like one drops are in the set, but I could mm-hmm. see it as a like a pretty good sideboard card for any deck that's trying to play a bunch of Savannah Lions, if that's possible. Again, just like a straight up white deck. If mm-hmm. you're, even though you didn't say it was like great with anthems, like maybe you can do that. Yeah, maybe if you just right just have a lot of cheap things and you're willing to just slam them all into play no regrets and this just like does the same thing and you're just trying to double down on that that could be it's not like the obvious use of the card to me but it is in the color that is only capable of so many things so uh, my next card is one that yeah these cards are never playable but this is about as pushed as they have ever made a life gain payoff card this is Righteous Valkyrie, 2 and a white for a 2-4 flyer. Whenever another angel or cleric enters the battlefield under your control, you gain life equal to that creature's toughness. As long as you have at least 7 life more than your starting total, creatures you control get plus 2, plus 2. So the fact that this is a like really hard-to-kill body at 3 mana, you know, like it doesn't... Like Blood Chief's Thirst, you have to, you have to kick uh four toughness is like a lot you know it doesn't die to like scorching dragon fire or uh you know most of the red spells and stuff like two four flyer is quite large for three mana and then it both gives you life gain and gives you a payoff for gaining a bunch of life and like a big payoff even if this is like your only creature this becomes a four six if you meet the requirement and I don't know. It's unlikely that a life gain theme deck becomes good and constructed because that never ever happens. But there's like a bunch of pieces towards it. And the fact that this specifically synergizes with clerics, which actually does have a bunch of kind of almost there things, maybe like post rotation or something like that. I could see it happening. But this is as pushed as we've seen a life gain card. So 
That's true. And they've been, I think they're going to continue printing more clerics and stuff because mm-hmm. we had just had clerics in Zendikar. And then they're really pushing white black stuff in this set. There's a lot of kind of pushed white black cards in the set. Right. And party is going to come back in the D&D set. So, yeah, it, it seems like I honestly just dismissed this card when I read it because it had the uh, starting life total clause, right, which is almost always bad. Yes. But yeah, this could just be another payoff for a cleric deck. Or even like almost an enabler. Like it's a really good mm-hmm. soul warden in a cleric deck. And then sometimes you hit the the seven, sometimes you hit 27 life and it's crazy. But even if that's not the main purpose of it. Yeah, uh, this this is worth keeping an eye on for sure. Yeah, I think so. Uh, my number two is Usher of the Fallen. A good Savannah Alliance that helps you go wide is obviously going to be playable and then my number one is also doomscar because that card is just definitely the best white card in the set by quite a bit all right why don't you start off us off on blue all right starting off with and a one that like probably should have just overlooked but this is <laughs> frost auger this is one blue mana for a one two snow creature human wizard it has a snow mana and tap. Look at the top card of your library. If it's a snow card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. So it's like scrying sheets on a creature. Listen, this card is obviously not great. But the one thing that is making this possibly playable is that it is a good backup one drop to Ascendant Spirit which is the snow figure of destiny that we'll get to in a little bit. And so that level of redundancy with like, I have eight one drops that I can start with and then play this flash game while I've got this one drop in play that whenever I don't use my mana, it's going to be getting me some benefit on the battlefield. Like that's the core of a snow deck that could exist and could be good. I don't like obviously this deck this card has very few homes because you have to be super snow heavy and it's not a great card but the mana investments are so low into doing the thing with it and you know if you can get this down on turn one start countering spells and then every time you have a spare mana you have a i don't know depending on your deck you will probably want over 50 percent chance of hitting and unfortunately, like every counter spell you put in your deck is going to be not a snow card. But if you got lands, one drops, maybe one or two other things, then it, it could be something. I I'm pretty skeptical of this one. Oh, I agree. Blue was not deep. No, blue is actually the hardest color for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that the they didn't really do enough with the snow instants and sorceries, I think. Mm-hmm. Especially in blue, there's almost none. Yeah. To really sell me on this type of effect. I, I don't I don't think this one's gonna get there. Right. If Ascendant Spirit didn't exist, I wouldn't have given this card another look. The existence of Ascendant Spirit makes me want to do something to make this thing work. And I, I, I agree that there probably just isn't quite enough there. My number four is Orvar, the All Form. This is three and a blue for a 3-3 shapeshifter, legendary creature shapeshifter with changeling. So uh, right off the bat, we're at Misform Ultimus. But then we got, oh, we're just better. Yeah, You've got more text. We got way more text to go. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, if it targets one or more permanents you control, create a token that's a copy of one of those permanents. Okay. 
When a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard this card, create a token that's a copy of target permanent. So I just, like, there's going to be spots where this is the dodecapod that you want. I Probably. Maybe. See, I looked at this card, and I'm like, alright, so this card basically doesn't matter unless your opponent makes you discard it. Mm-hmm. Then you can take their best card. <laughs> kind of. Well... Very specifically, if my opponent plays Liliana of the Veil and pluses it, and then I get a Liliana of the Veil, I think that's really cool. I see in standard I was looking for it, because there's way better things to be doing in Liliana of the Veil formats. Mm-hmm. You're most likely to discard it to Kroxa, right? Yeah. And you can't make a copy of Kroxa, because your Kroxa would just die. Yes. So you have to have something else on their board that competes with Kroxa, and th- those are few and far between. Right. And I mean, if you're discarding it to the front side of Kroxa, like, there's a good chance they don't have anything in play, and maybe you don't have anything in play yet. And you're a blue deck, so. Yeah. Maybe you'll copy your Frost Dogger, and that's kind of it. Yeah. But this is a really neat dodecapod that just is not like any one that we have seen before. The first line of text is going to be really great in casual formats, though. So, you know, look out for that. One of the lands in this set, there's a bunch of like ability lands in this set, mm-hmm. is a black-red one that causes you to discard. If there's anything that's playing that, and you get to just like put a Tybalt into play or something crazy off that, mm-hmm. that, that's where I'd be down to play this. You know, actually, though, it does say just copy of target permanent. In my head, I was definitely translating that as like target non-land permanent. If somebody croaks on turn two and you discard this and copy a land, like you're way ahead. That's, well, actually yeah, that's actually fair. Really good, I think. Huh. I wonder if we can take advantage of the first line of text to kind of include that play pattern in the deck. Because there's not many things that you're targeting your own creatures with, right? Yeah, I mean, it's probably more of a sideboard card. Like, if they are a Kroxa deck, they're going to make you discard cards at some point in the game, probably early. And, you know... If their turn two is Kroxa and you, instead of discarding a land, or instead of discarding a card, you just, you know, grow spiral yourself, like, they probably just kind of lose on the spot, so. Okay, I actually like that play pattern a little bit. Now now I want to keep an eye on this card a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think there's something there. But yeah, I mean, probably you would hope that your deck could somehow take advantage of casting the card if it comes to that, but that's kind of hard and constructed competitive magic the gathering yeah i'm not playing hill giants if i can help it i and not targeting my permanence with my own spells generally i mean if a card's strong enough like feather you can make me do that but this is not this is not what we're doing here uh my next one is the blue god cosima god of the voyage says there's so much text on this card, oh my god. I know, there's double face cards, man. I know, they're so complicated. Uh, two and a blue for a 2-4 god. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile Cosima. If you do, it gains whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control. If Cosima is exiled, you may put a voyage counter on it. If you don't, return Cosima to the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it and draw X cards, where X is the number of voyage counters on it. I'm mainly interested in the artifact side of the card which is the omen keel this is a one and a blue three three vehicle whenever a vehicle you control deals combat damage to a player that player exiles that many cards from the top of their library you may play lands from among those cards for as long as they remain exiled and it has crew one i mean this is no smuggler's copter but 
it comes down at two mana, is a 3-3, three, three, you get card advantage for hitting them, and we know in this era of magic, like, lands are cards. Like, the more mana you have, the more stuff you can do. It, we have a million utility lands, so you can do things with mana, and... Um, this just like comes down early enough and then it does have the other side of Cosima for when the vehicle is not good and Cosima kind of probably demands a removal spell immediately or she threatens to just draw you a bunch of cards over the course of several turns in a really awkward and slow way but still does that so I, I like this card I like this card conceptually mm -hmm. but I do not like yeah, what deck does it ever go Any, into? Right, like if the the Omen Kill is like the sexy part of this card because it's a vehicle mm -hmm. that vehicles are just like inherently good, much like equipment. Uh, and it, this has got good stat line: crew one for two mana, three three. Mm -hmm. The problem is that it's blue. Like if this were in any other color, right, you could put some creatures and go to town, right? Yeah, but well, I actually blue. really like this in the Ascendant Spirit deck with whatever else you know, goes into that. I think there's there's potentially something interesting there. I, I hope so. I, I think that that would be a good place to start with an Ascended Spirit deck, because that is Ascended Spirit, which we're going to talk about very soon, I promise. I promise. <laughs> is a card that does require a lot of mana. And the goal of this card is to try not to cast Cosima. You really just want to cast the Omen Heal on two, mm -hmm. and then not cast Cosima until you're kind of forced to. Because right. she's just so slow. Not only does she come into play and do nothing, she has to survive until your next turn, which which you exile her, and then you have to play lands, and then eventually she can do something. Yes. <laughs> um, right, and it, it takes, like, another land to bring her back is how it works. So, like, the first land gets her counter, and then the second land you can bring her back and draw one card. and it, So it's extremely slow. I, I do love that you know similar to the white god who didn't make either of our lists but you know this avoids the problem of like drawing two smugglers copters and no creatures because you draw the second one and she can crew the first one so that that's nice a, a nice little bonus it's nice that you can crew the first one then immediately vanish right <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i think there's something here i agree it's in like the worst color for this effect but because of the existence of my next card, I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic about it. So my next card is Ascendant Spirit. This is a one blue mana, one, one snow spirit, snow creature spirit. And it's, you know, a figure of destiny inspired card. Uh, two snow mana, and it becomes a spirit warrior with base power and toughness two, three. Three snow mana, if it's a warrior, put a flying counter on it, and it becomes a spirit warrior angel with base power and toughness 4-4. Four, four. four snow mana, if it's an angel, put two plus one plus one counters on it, and it gains whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Unlike, you know, level up from Rise of the Eldrazi, you get to spend this mana as at instant speed. So, and this is in blue, which really appreciates that much more than like red-white did. So you can play this on one, do your instant speed countering and stuff like that, and then whenever you've got mana, you put this into it until it's a threat. And unlike Figure of Destiny, once you've reached the final form, mm -hmm. you can just keep activating it and right. keep getting counters, and for each time you activate it, you get another instance of the Ophidian ability. Yes. <laughs> so if somehow they're not dead the first time it connects with flying, and you draw a card, you can just 
pump it again, attack them again, and draw two cards. Yeah. I I really like the idea of this in an Omen Keel deck, but I also just... If there is a blue snow deck, this is why, and I think this card is really strong if you can do the snow stuff. Just, I, I think it's strong without the snow stuff, too. If there's a flash deck at all, right. this this card is very good at it. Right. I, I guess what I, what I mean is, like, if you can do a, like, monocolored deck and afford all the snow lands, pretty much. Yeah, because you don't really want to be dual-colored or just very lightly dual-colored if you can help it. Because the snow duels are very bad. Right. Yep. And we also have the awkward... Honestly, like, the hidden awkward thing about snow is we have 10,000 excellent utility lands in standard, and being snow, like, really limits your ability to take advantage of them. Yeah, all you get is the, like, fancy mutable. Yeah. Which is fine. I do like that card, so at least you do get one. But you don't get other decks get like free castles in their mana base and stuff and cycling lands and yeah, so it's def- you, that's definitely a big loss. You can't just like open a, a hand with Ascended Spirit and have Island Castle of Antris and be happy. Not only because you put Castle of Antris in your deck, but also <laughs> you can't <laughs> activate the Stone ability. Fortunately, Castle of Antris, one of the more overrated lands, I believe. Yeah, I, I thought it was good when Throne of Eldraine came out, but it was it, it's just frequently not worth the mana. Yeah, it was pretty good with exactly Fires of Invention or Wilderness Reclamation. And oh yeah, sure. <laughs> other than that, it's like, oh boy, this is so much mana. And then my number one blue card is a common. Behold the multiverse. Three in a blue for an instant, scry two, then draw two cards, and foretell one in a blue. I think this is just a phenomenal inspiration. Uh, the play patterns with it are so much better. You don't have to commit all of your mana on one turn. You can do this with something else uh, whenever it makes sense to. Or you can just cast it as an inspiration. And also, you know, scry two, draw two cards. Like, we cast a decent number of Glimmer of Geniuses that we didn't care about the energy. And this is so much better than Glimmer of Genius when you don't care about the energy, so. Uh, I I agree. I like this card a lot, too. But aren't we contracted by Wizards to put Rares or Mythics as the number one card? Ah, Wizards has never given us a single penny, so we can do whatever the hell we want. Nice. Very cool. Behold the Motion is also a card I'm really high on. It's pretty high on my list as well. (laughs) It's just maybe the best inspiration we've seen in quite a while pretty much ever ever i think it's it's my favorite draw two that we have pretty much ever had it is competing right now with uh into the story in a like here's my dedicated like card advantage thing but i think it works differently enough that it's just going to find some completely different homes i mean into the story demands that you are running hedron crab and the rogues and you get to do this in your reactive you know blue white control deck or whatever you want to do you can play this on turn four with certain regularity mm-hmm. as opposed to playing into the story in a control deck you're almost never going to play it on turn four yeah yeah so yeah i love this card uh, let's go to my blue let's i go. have a lot of different cards than you okay uh my number five is all runs epiphany 
which is the time walk, the time squawk. Mm-hmm. Five UU for sorcery. Create two birds with flying. Take an extra turn after this one. Exile Arun's Epiphany. Foretell for four UU. We talked a little bit, a little bit about this last time. I think it's just a good time walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've played a bunch of the awaken one what's that part the water veil mm-hmm. and this card kind of reminds me of that on a scaled back scale because you cast part the water veil it's, it's more expensive but you get a huge land creature that just chunks them and if you have two they're just dead yeah this card kind of has that where it gives you some board presence in the birds they're not going to ever die if you just draw them one after the other so you have to have some other board with them but it's similar enough to make me take notice of it. And I think time warp time warp effects are just so strong generally. If there's ever a castable one like in the five mana to six mana range, I'm I'm gonna have my eye on it. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it. One of the things that makes me not love time warps right now is that the planeswalkers are not particularly good, and that's a main way to get a big benefit off of time warps. Um and also big expensive blue spells like mystical dispute is still here as long as throne of Eldraine is here so That's fair, yeah that is my big caution on expensive blue spells but I, certainly I, I, this is a decent time walk i will say that planeswalkers aren't the like main thing to do with time walks and standard like the deck i just referenced the part the water veil one had only two planeswalkers in it and they were the flip nissa from mm-hmm. origins which is not like a fantastic planeswalker. It's much better than the ones we have now, mostly just because it was a creature. Right, but that's because like part the water veil gave you its own stuff, stuff yeah. to do. You could just turns. you could just devote yourself to, and your stalling tool was the the thing that made an octopus. So that that deck had its own way to get board presence and kill. Yeah, but I think that's what you have to do with this card too, because it's a time warp. You just have to have a board cast it and kill them. You don't necessarily need to have Planeswalkers to get a bunch of value like you would in Modern. Mm-hmm. You just have a board, cast this, you get two extra bodies, then you can turn the tide pretty quickly. Yeah. Maybe you have an Ascendant Spirit in play, and then you time yeah. warp and start hitting them with your Ascendant Spirit multiple times. You get extra extra draws to draw into more Alrun's Epiphanies. Ooh. And speaking of Ascendant Spirit, uh, that is my number four card. Yep, a yep. card I also quite like. Yeah, I think but this card's great. I'm not quite sure. It's going to go somewhere. I think it's too much good text to completely whiff. Yep. But I, it might take a little bit for enough cards to come out that you can only play mono blue. Mm-hmm. Like Terramander mono blue was a second set standard, but it had a lot of good cards in that set, especially Terramander. Mm-hmm. And eventually we saw like green blue flash with growth spiral, which was quite good. This card kind of precludes playing multicolored flash decks, so we're not looking at the Slither Muse. Is that what the blue-black one's called from Slither Slither Wisp? Slither Wisp. Yeah, you you can't just fall back on, like, Slither Wisp and stuff, because playing that many colors is going to make this card so much worse. Mostly just a one-mana 1-1 that you can sometimes level up to a 2-3. You really want to be using this thing on curve whenever you have an opportunity to. Mm Mm-hmm. So it might take a while, but I think it's strong enough to eventually have a spot. I think so. So my number three and four are related. When I was making this list, I was going to put them as like the same number. 
<laughs> but I couldn't find enough blue cards I actually wanted to talk about, so I stretched it out. <laughs> My number three is Behold the Multiverse. It's, it was your number one. The Scry 2, Draw 2 with Fortel. And my number two is Saw It Coming, which is just the cancel with Fortel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the cancel is actually weak, weaker than Behold the Multiverse, but I think these cards play so well together, like I discussed on the last episode, that I just really like them. I think they're going to be kind of mainstays. They feel like a package in, in yeah. a, a pretty big way. And and particularly because you can play a package of you know three different fratel cards if you play the wrath as well in a blue white control deck and so just like your opponent actually like you're really playing morphs at this point your opponent does not know what card you have foretold yeah and it's something that we didn't touch on last episode but i messaged you like right after the episode we recorded was that foretelling a card plays around duress effects yeah which is great with a cancel like the main thing that they want to duress yeah, so you can exile Saw Coming, or even the Wrath, which is also a good duress target, mm-hmm. on turns two, and you're just always going to have access to that spell at a discounted cost. Yeah. Yeah, and it really screws up your opponent's curve, because, like, you know, an aggressive creature deck that has sideboarded in duresses, they do not want to cast those duresses on turn one. Like, you want to cast it on turn three with a two drop, is, like, pretty much when you want to do it. But you want to be doing stuff and getting in damage not like skipping a whole turn to do it early in the game so having to do that that early to get the foretell card like just the existence of these cards might really screw with the strength of duress my number one card's also another foretell card and this is a heavy speculative number one <laughs> but i really like this card i i like this card too i didn't make my list but i think it's really cool and and i i can see why you would be into it this is Mystic Reflection, which is a 1U instant with Fortel for a single blue mana. Uh, you can choose target non-legendary creature, and the next time one or more creatures or planeswalkers enter the battlefield this turn, they enter as, they enter as copies of the chosen creature. Uh, that's a lot of weird text, but basically the way it works is the next time something comes into play or something resolves and makes a bunch of tokens, uh, like Raise the Alarm would copy everything entering the battlefield is whatever you choose but it, this card is so high for me because it's so versatile and you can use it in a bunch of different ways mm-hmm. like if you have a random ascended spirit lying around and your opponent plays an ugin you can target your ascended spirit and their ugin comes into play as an ascended spirit and you don't have to deal with ugin okay that is pretty sick you can do it in a more proactive way where your opponent plays I don't know, a Vorinclex, and you're like, oh, I really, I really want a Vorinclex. Then you target your own creature. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Well, Maybe. it can't be a, yeah. It, it doesn't copy what's coming to play. It copies right. Copies something that that's already play. in play. Yeah. Vorinclex, you could make them not have a Vorinclex is probably the best you're going to do there. But like, same thing yeah. as the Ugin trick. Same thing as the Ugin trick. I want to I wanna do it proactively. I know there's, I know there's ways so you can. So my favorite way of doing it proactively would be with a Grave Titan or an actual constructed playable magic, a Primeval Titan. So you play a Primeval Titan. With the trigger on the stack, you play this targeting Primeval Titan. And then the first zombie you get off of your Field of the Dead is another Primeval Titan. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm sure there's some cards in standard that makes tokens that would be nice to just copy on. 
basically, I just like this card because it's really versatile. You can do a bunch of stuff with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure this will be a card I play as like a one of sure. in random spots. Yeah. And it will keep surprising me of the things you can get away with it. Yeah, and especially because it is so cheap. You know, it is two mana, but it's also got foretell of a blue. So whenever you have a spare two and then you get to keep this up with one mana for the rest of the game, like you can find the spot where that will be good. It is niche and weird, but it is versatile in the niche and weird thing that it does. So, Oh, I, I know what I was trying to think of with the Vorinclex thing, is if they have a Vorinclex, you can't target it because it's legendary. Right. But any big creature they have that you want, you can target it and then play something. Yeah. If they have a Primeval Titan, and then you play a Field of the Dead, you get to have a Primeval Titan and keep up, at least. <laughs> You can even you know turn your Nico Arxes into creatures if you want to. You can. There's a lot of weird stuff you can do. <laughs> the fact it, that it just does it with planeswalkers is so strange. Yeah, it only works one way. You can't copy planeswalkers. Like you can't make more planeswalkers, but you can stop planeswalkers from entering. Right. That's that is so weird. Yeah, it can only copy a non-legendary creature, but it does it to a token or a creature. Or a planeswalker. Huh. A batch of tokens, or one creature, right. or a planeswalker. Right. It is a little sad that Field of the Dead triggers one at a time. You never get a batch of tokens from Field of the Dead, so you can't just like get a bunch of Primeval Titans. Yeah, I'm always so sad when my Primeval Titan resolves and grabs Field of the Dead and I have a zombie. It's just like, how do I win from it? <laughs> I can't possibly figure it out. See, that's why I want to do it with Grave Titan. I want a Grave Titan... Mr. Reflection, it get two more Grave Titans. That's that's where it's at. They get four zombies. Wow, it's like we resolved for Evil Titan. Yeah, exactly. It, that, <laughs> this is the only way Grave Titan can possibly keep up with Primeval Titan is if it's three Grave Titans. Okay, that's it for blue. Pretty weak color, yeah. but I've got you know my eyes on the the Time Walk and the the sweet blue rare with a bunch of words on it that are odd. Yeah, that sounds like stuff that you would be interested in. Want to go to black? Let's do it. All right, I'll start. I have... Black was also not my favorite color to pick from. Mm-hmm. So my number five is Eradicator Valkyrie, which is kind of just a stat stick. It's a 2BB 4-3 Angel Berserker. Berserker is a relevant creature type. Yeah. With flying, lifelink, and a hexproof from Planeswalkers. It's got boast 1B, sack a creature, to have each opponent sacrifice a creature or Planeswalker. Uh, this is just kind of a solid four drop. It's not very good in comparison to like Rankle, yeah. for instance. I think it's pretty outmoded in most spots as long as Rankle is legal, but it it will be legal after Rankle rotates. But that feels like how a lot of cards you can compare to Throne of Eldraine things work, <laughs> mm-hmm. where you just kind of have to be like, yep, this is worse than that card printed a year ago, but you know, that won't be around forever. Yeah, It's kind of how I feel about Eradicator Valkyrie. It's just got a lot of it's a stat stick yeah. with good keywords. And it'll be fine in a metagame where like a lot of the ways people remove like four mana creatures is by playing a planeswalker and killing them. It's very good against that. The lifelink is I mean lifelink is good. Three toughness on your lifelink creature like feels kind of bad because if the red decks have a lightning strike then this is just more of a liability than anything else, but you know, there could be spots for this thing for sure. And if you can find some elf or not elf, uh, angel or berserker synergies, which mm-hmm. there are both of in this set. Maybe you can have a little bit of value there. Sure. 
My number four is Rise of the Dead Marn, a 2B instant with 4 tell for a single black mana. Create X 2-2 black zombie berserker creature tokens, where X is the number of non-token creatures that died this turn. Yeah, the uh, difference between this card with Fortell and this card without Fortell is like by far the largest of any effect. Yeah. These cards are always like pretty bad. Mm -hmm. uh, the like three mana anti-wrath rebuild cards. Right. Because they're just too expensive. You could just never have three mana open when you're trying to play around wrath. And most of the time, you can have like heroic intervention instead. It's like two mana, and it just completely stops the wrath. It's much better. Yeah. This card is different enough where you can foretell it, and then having a single mana open is so, 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 so much easier than even two or three mana. Right. Where you can just deploy, keep deploying cards, and then using your foretell once they deal with your threats. This card's also way better at counting than most of the color of the claw type effects that we get because it counts your opponent's creatures too. So even if does, you just yeah. have a combat where you trade two creatures for two of their creatures, then this makes four two zoos. There are also Berserkers, which is a creature type that has kind of a lot of support in the set. Yeah, including a there's, Midnight Reaper. Yeah, there's a Midnight Reaper and just Mono Black. And there's also a Black Red Saga, which is pretty good text on it, which gives a lot of card advantage. Basically, Berserkers just have a bunch of card advantage baked into them for some reason. And this card makes Berserkers. Yeah, that's really cool. I When the Berserker Midnight Reaper got spoiled, you know, you pointed it out because we had been talking about elves. And then I was joking, like, finally, we get to play Berserker Tribal. But then they just, like, went ahead and put some Berserker Tribal plants into the set. And maybe we are. Sadly, the... the uh midnight reaper skimfar avenger mm -hmm. he doesn't work on tokens tokens sure but uh, the red black saga or other things that kf berserkers do work off tokens mm -hmm. yeah. speaking of skimfar avenger is my number three yeah if you're done talking about rise of the dead Morn, mm -hmm. i am done uh, it's a 1b 3-1 elf berserker uh, whenever a non-token elf or berserker you control dies you draw a card and lose one life it's just a really solid Midnight Reaper. Two mana for a 3-1 is not great, but this effect on two mana is very good. Uh, because Midnight Reaper was a card you like kind of just played into a wrath to make it bad for them to remove your board. Mm -hmm. This card plays out separately for both elves and berserkers, but being at a cheaper cost allows you to do more with it. For instance, you could play Skimfire Avenger on turn four to play around wrath leaving open two mana for like a heartless act so if they play a creature so they don't have to wrath mm -hmm. you then can kill really it good and you attack yeah. for seven yeah which is a play pattern that's delayed with midnight reaper mm -hmm. and that's a really good play pattern yeah basically i mean obviously the differences between this and midnight reaper are like weirdly large for cards with such similar text you know midnight reaper triggers off of any creature type so it is really applicable in priest of forgotten gods type decks this one is for tribal decks and it doesn't you know your one mana discount also means that this doesn't trigger on its own death so that is certainly a drawback but that mana difference is gigantic it's just way easier to double spell with a two mana spell than a three mana spell so and since this isn't like a board presence spell Casting something that does something on the turn where you'd cast this is really, really useful. So I like this card a lot. Yeah, I think this card is just 
weaker overall than Midnight Reaper, but we don't have Midnight Reaper, and this card is going to be really good in the decks you can play it in. I think so, yeah. Uh, my number two and one get a little lengthy, <laughs> so number two is Turgrid, God of Fright, uh, 3BB, 4-5 Legendary God, with Menace. Whenever an opponent sacrifices an on-token permanent or discards a permanent card, you may put that card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. The backside is Turgrid's Lantern, a 3B legendary artifact that has a tap ability of tap. Target player loses 3 life unless they sacrifice an online permanent or discard a card. Oh, it's the, the Torment cards that yep. we got our weird yeah. little vertical cycle and then never reference that concept again, and now we are... And then 3B to untap it. <laughs> so if you enter the late game with Lantern, you kind of go crazy. Yeah, I find this card both sides to be extremely clunky and slow and like not really what I want to be doing in a game of Magic. I agree 100% except for the not want to be doing in a game of Magic. But... <laughs> uh, the, the main draw of this card is not the front side to me. The front side is the I've drawn a second copy right. version. Right. Or play a much like Cosimo. before I Wrath next turn or something like that. Yeah. The the lantern is what draws me to this card, where you can just play kind of lantern control, literally. <laughs> <laughs> where you if you reach if you have a card that can control from this angle, uh, you need to be doing other stuff. But it does put a pinch in all of the turns that your opponent has to attack you by so like if you're just a board presence deck that's not just a straight aggro deck but you're trying to control the board with like planeswalkers or mid-range threats uh the lantern backs that up by stripping them of resources or denying them cards uh which is kind of slow and mopey but if you ever encounter another deck that's trying to do mid-range or mopey stuff the lantern is just kind of crippling so like this is definitely a better card than Torment of Scarabs, because it has the untap ability and it has the backside card of it. But it's not fundamentally that different from Torment of Scarabs, right? No, but it does have a 5-mana 4-5 on the other side of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that is probably a, a bigger difference than I'm giving it well, credit Well, once for. you have the Torment of Scarabs and play the Lantern, mm -hmm. the 4-5 is actually really strong. Yeah, that's definitely true. I don't know if that's enough to make this a card that i'm interested in though i want to try this like the the four five for five is not a bad body and there's got to be some like mid-range board stuff you can do where you can have time to lantern and then land a turgrid and then be like going to the races maybe i feel like there's enough incident like because you have to have ways to kill artifacts in the standard because of ember cleave and the great henge anyways i don't want to like slow card advantage engine art like it's not a safe thing where it's just gonna stick it's actually like kind of vulnerable or more vulnerable than you would think um also there's artifacts on the backs of some of these gods that is gonna make playing wilt and stuff more attractive i mean obviously we see how it plays out but i'm not sure that the draw here is enough that i'm like interested in trying to make this work that's fair this is definitely one of the speculative ones yeah but it's cool. It's I like definitely me some cool. slow pinging advantages. Yeah. But number one is a card I'm pretty confident in, though. I really like this one. Yeah. Uh, Egan, God of Death. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a 2v6-6 with Death Touch, a legendary god. 
Uh, if you have your upkeep, you exile two cards from your graveyard, and if you can't, you sack Egon and draw a card. So, you know, it's not too bad when you have to sacrifice them because you get a card back. Yeah. Uh, the backside is Throne of Death, which is a black mana artifact, legendary artifact. If you have your upkeep, mill a card, and 2B tap, exile a creature card from your graveyard to draw a card. Uh, we talked about this card last time. There's not a lot more I can add onto it. I just really, really like Thrall of Death as a semi engine. And Egon himself is also really big. Yeah. Like, just as a 6 6. The fact that you draw a card when you can't meet the upkeep cost anymore and he dies is pretty wild. Like, this is a perfect. All right, play this guy to stabilize for a little while and buy me time to wrath. You didn't even spend a card on that, probably. Like, you know, they're not going to get through it once you run out of cards in the graveyard. Or maybe you don't have any cards in your graveyard. You just buy yourself a turn of not getting attacked by Lovestruck Beast and stuff. And then you're like, okay, here's my Wrath Effect. And you didn't lose a card to Fog for a turn. One thing I will say is if you do try to play this to buy time, and you have cards, two cards in your graveyard, you have to exile them. You don't have a choice. But you probably continue buying time for as long as this sticks on the battlefield, because what can attack through this? Not even Lovestruck Beast. Right. It's pretty much just Questing Beast for, as a trade. Yeah, and every even if they have something gigantic, unless it's Questing Beast with Embercleave on it, everything at least trades with this, So because it has Death Touch. Yep. There's a lot to be said for Throne of Death as well as just a single mana card that starts your graveyard synergies going. I think you are, most of the decks with this, you're like pretty happy to start with Throne of Death on turn one, actually. Any deck I have Egan in is going to be a deck I'm happy to start with Throne of Death on turn one. Yeah, and I mean, a, a reasonable amount of the time, it's just going to put a Kroxa into your graveyard at some point and help fuel its escape. And the worst part of Kroxa is casting the front side when it's just a a four mana creature in your graveyard that you get to cast it's way better and sometimes you can use its activated ability to draw more cards uh, it's not the main draw to the card you usually want to consume your graveyard with egan or Kroxa, mm -hmm. but it exists as an effect on the card mm -hmm. and so it will be used yeah because you're casting the front side of this a lot and then when you have three mana and a creature in your graveyard you're just going to do it because a card in hand is good mm-hmm yeah, I, I think this card is excellent. Uh, for my blacklist, my list is extremely similar to yours. I think I only have one thing different, and we're in a very <laughs> similar order as well. Um, my number five is also Eradicator Valkyrie. I don't think this is an incredible card, but there will likely be some spots for it. This is the four mana, four, three, Flying Lifelink, Hexproof from Planeswalkers. My number four is Rise of the Dreadmarn just pretty into I, I think there's a lot more ways to use this than most things of the create an army when you get wrathed like sub archetype of cards i think it's just way more versatile and the fact that they have two creature types on them is cool as you pointed out and the fact that it counts everybody's creatures that die is like that's just way more creatures and way more situations it's not just wrath protection it's like come out of this combat way ahead type spell so um my number three is definitely speculative because it is a snow card this is blood on the snow for black black for a snow sorcery choose one destroy all creatures or destroy all planeswalkers 
Then you return a creature or planeswalker card with converted mana cost X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield where X is the amount of snow spent to cast this spell. You know, I have no idea if we can make if we're making any sort of controlling black deck that has a lot of snow stuff in it, but I just if when this card is working, it's an incredibly powerful spell. When you wrath and you put a four or five mana planeswalker or creature in play with the same spell, you know, this is like well beyond what Elspeth Conquers Death does in a lot of situations. And that's one of the best cards in standard. The fact that it is versatile, even if I'm not playing against a creature deck, we're playing like a mid-rangey sort of mirror. My opponent puts a planeswalker in play. I get to cast this destroy all planeswalkers, get back my planeswalker or my creature, like that's, you know, that's Elspeth Conquers Death, but all wrapped up in one turn. The question of can I play enough snow stuff to make this good is an open question that I don't know that I have an answer to. But if this card, if you can make it work, then I think it's a really good card. Yeah, I didn't have this one on my list because it was a six mana sorcery. <laughs> Which was the main sticking point to me. Six mana is a lot for a wrath, even if you get like value out of it. Yeah, so I don't think that you're using this in a control deck where this is your wrath, really. I think that this is more of your, like, here's a hammering board switching card advantage spell in a more mid-rangey kind of reactive deck than like a pure controlling kind of deck. Because you need to have gotten a permanent out that then got killed for this to be really good, you know? Yeah, but if you're doing this in a mid-range deck, you're limiting yourself to mono black or playing bad mana bases. Mm, that's true. And that feels like you can't use that card in that shell because that shell is bad inherently. Well, this card also doesn't necessarily require you to have like the full snow mana base. Like you can have depending on what you generally get back with it. Like say that the main things you get back are four mana things then you can have a reasonable number of non-Snowlands in your deck and it's still okay. See, what's funny is I was actually going to use the number four as an example. Mm -hmm. Like, I think this needs to be at four for you to get anything worthwhile out of it. Right. And having four snow permanents in play and casting this card at a reasonable time is actually a lot of snow. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a shell for this in mind, but it's really powerful when it works, I think. Rathing it reminds me a lot of Yagmoth's Vile Offering mm -hmm. with a worse restriction, <laughs> but a better payoff. I mean, it's a worse restriction in that it is like harder to construct a deck with the idea, but it's once if you do have the deck, it's a very like non disruptible restriction, you know? Like Yagmoth's Vile Offering yes. requires you to have a legendary creature or a planeswalker in play. If they just stop you from doing that, then the card doesn't do anything. Yeah, and I think most of the time this card is not going to do anything mm -hmm. unless your deck is like very heavily disrupted by it, which I think is worse. But the effect is similar enough, and Yagwan's File Offering saw basically no play. Yeah. You know, I saw like sideboard play in Kethys. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't have high hopes for this card, but there is... Like, this card, to me, has a lot more potential than a card like Yagmoth's Vile Offering does. If the deck Yeah, is... and there's also, like, I saw there's a card in M21, the corset, 
that buys back incense or sorcery. So if you cast this for oh, retail, sure. you can get it back, and then just like you're looping rats at that point. Yeah, that's cute. I, that's not good, but it is no. like maybe there's something you can do in that space. Not not necessarily getting the spell back, but just any creature that interacts really well that you don't necessarily want to cast, but mm-hmm. is a really good follow up to this. Sure. Yeah, I mean you can put egon god of death into play with this that's only a three mana creature that's like quite good to put into play with it i don't know anyways probably don't need to keep talking about this card i just i think it's neat uh i do love the name and the art like it's oh very yeah good. yes it's one of the most disappointing cards to me i guess because the name is just so good see i think the design is cool enough that i'm like pretty fine with them matching it up even if it doesn't pay off like the the card is cool enough that it it meshes with the art and the name uh and it it definitely gives me i feel like there's a spiritual connection to the to the original deathmark art which is you know some of the coolest my my favorite art from cold snap for sure high bar there well, I mean, it, it there, is there really actually good. is some pretty cool art in Cold Snap because it's got the snow theme, which, you know, lends itself to really neat stuff. But I, I remember somebody talking about how cool the new Deathmark art was, but it's just an eye with a black mana symbol in it. Yeah, it's not And it, cool. like, offended me that they thought that was good when the original Deathmark art is just, like, the coolest thing in the world. It's the snow, blood snowflake bleeding out of a wolf, I think. It's something. Maybe yeah. it's a person. But anyways, neither here nor there. My number two is Skemfar Avenger, the 3-1 Midnight Reaper guy for elves and berserkers. Uh, my number one black card is Egon, God of Death, and Throne of Death. I agree that that is probably the best black card, and I think it's going to see a lot of play across a lot of formats. Like, this is a legacy playable card, too, probably. Onto red, the, getting to the good stuff. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so my number five red card is Goldspan Dragon. I figured you would not have this one on your list, so I wanted to give it representation. This is three and two red for a four-four flying haste. Whenever Goldspan Dragon attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure token. Treasures you control have tap. Sacrifice this artifact. Add two mana of any one color. So the more I think about this card, the more I'm just, like, interested in doing stuff with it. At base level, it's a 5-mana 4-4 haste that, like, refunds you at least 2 mana. So you cast this, you attack, you have negate up. Like, that on its own is pretty cool. If you have more treasures, then it just, like, can pay... If you have one treasure in play from something before this, and then you you basically are casting this for 1 mana... And so I, I think there's enough here that, like, it's just very cool and will give you back a bunch of mana. And that's usually a recipe for a powerful card when it just, like, costs way less than a, a card of this size should cost. So this is actually on my list, too. Even higher than Oh, yours. okay. <laughs> uh, not because I have, a, like, strong belief in Goldspan Dragon right now. Mm-hmm. But the amount of treasure stuff they put in the set, especially Magda, yeah, lends me to hope there'll be more in the future. And I agree, once you get the treasure payoff stuff, this card's really attractive. Yeah. And when top end stops being so Emberclee focused 
and we can start playing more Goldspan Dragons, then I'm like pretty on board with this. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my number four is Tundra Fumarole. Like, I'm just continuing on the theme of, like, thinking that snow cards are going to be a thing. This is one and two red for a snow sorcery. It deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker. Add one colorless for each snow you spent to cast this spell. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. I, the, the fact that you can, like, double spell pretty hard with this in a snow deck just turns it into a pretty good removal spell in my mind. Uh, obviously it depends on like what the breakpoints of toughness are in the format, but if it kills a lot of decent stuff and does it for basically free, then I've, you need stuff that you can cast for a bunch of colorless mana that you've been refunded. So you're not casting, you know, you can't on turn four cast this and then cast a two and two red planeswalker or something. So that's a big restriction and maybe enough that this card ends up not being very good, but there's potential here because free spells are good. Yeah, the fact this is a sorcery is kind of the bummer for me. Yeah. Uh, I will shout out that it makes snow mana. Oh, yeah. So you can f immediately funnel it into your blood on the snow to, like, hit their planeswalker before, then kill all their creatures and bring something back. <laughs> uh, that's... that's certainly yeah. dreaming too big, but... <laughs> Definitely not the most excited about casting a removal spell into my wrath but well one kills planeswalkers and the other kills creatures come on cc yeah and you can like divide that up however you choose i do like the trend of allowing the removal spells to target creatures or planeswalkers i appreciate that very much i, I mean let's be real it, it should have happened from the beginning of planeswalkers yes they were just so reluctant for like 10 years to put the word planeswalker on any part that wasn't a planeswalker. I know, Dreadbore was like a revelation. Yeah, heaven forbid we put <laughs> the word planeswalker on a card to make our most hard to interact with and snowball -y card types have some points of interaction. Yeah, so, I mean, Tundra Fumarole, definitely speculative. Probably should have had it below Goldspan Dragon, but I, I think free cards just inherently... And I mean, Goldspan Dragon is also like a free card. So there's kind of a theme going on here with these red cards. I think the difference between the two is Goldspan Dragon's a free proactive card. Yeah, that's true. And a reactive card. Yeah, and that is a big, big difference for sure. Uh, my next card is Frostbite. One red mana, snow instant. Frostbite deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. If you control three or more snow permanents, it deals three damage instead. I just like the split between this is a one mana removal spell, so I've got the one drop aggro decks covered, and then it also goes bigger and hits a lot of like up to three mana creatures and also finishes off planeswalkers if I'm a snow deck, which I don't know if that's a thing. But if it is, this card's good. I mean, you don't need to be a snow deck specifically for this card, which is something I like about it. Mm -hmm. You can just have some snow basics in your deck and mostly play it as kind of a shock. Mm -hmm. and then every now and then it'll be way better sure yeah or it's just like i know that by this you know i want to be able to cover rankles by the mid game and this thing does that and that's a nice combination of stuff like yeah i, I can see that uh, my next card is probably my favorite card in the set i think my number two red card is Burgi, god of storytelling Burgi? How, how how are we saying this I, I up to you okay I'm going to go with Burgi. Burgi. All right. Two and a red for a 3-3 three, three god. Whenever you cast a spell, add red. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. Creatures you control can boast twice during each of your turns rather than once. 
And the other side is Harnfell, Horn of Bounty. Four and a red for a legendary artifact with discard a card, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. I mean, the front side is just like a very good version of a Goblin Electromancer or Baral. Like, yeah, it's three mana. That's why you get the text that you get, which is really powerful text, but it is three mana to start with, which can make it hard to use as a combo engine. Um, but then it's also got the other side of it for when you draw it late or you don't want the, the you don't have the resources to take advantage of the like mana guy part of the card. And I think Harnfell Horn of Bounty is actually potentially really powerful in, you, you're not gonna want this effect every game, but the games where you got flooded or something, like this is a great card to have drawn instead of like the option to trade your mana guy in for this thing is really, really good. So I'm excited to do some weird combo-y stuff, maybe some like Steamkin combo deck thing in Historic with this, maybe just some, I don't know, Warlord's Fury goofy stuff. Uh, there's just a lot of potential for this thing. And the fact that it's got a mana thing on one side and a card advantage thing on the other is a really good combination. Yeah, I think this is also my favorite card in the set. Nice. By maybe a good margin. I Yeah, it, it's neat. It's really cool. Because Birchie's also just like pretty well statted for a three mana, like mana engine. Yeah. Just a three, three for three. Sure. Which it comes up a lot where you're like putting these combo-y creatures in your deck and your your combo-y stuff doesn't work anymore so you just start turning them sideways and then the bigger your creatures are the the better that is right yeah if you're like combo-y creatures are runaway steamkin and burgie got a storytelling like sometimes those will just kill your opponent so uh this also is worded such that you keep the mana forever it's just like upwelling where yeah. You keep mana between turns as well as, you know, your own turn. So you can have three mana oh. created by Burgie, end your turn, have that three mana on your opponent's turn, they end their turn, you still have your three mana. Sure. Uh, which is not, wasn't clear to me immediately, because I remember the original Upwelling, which is the card that had that effect initially, did say you don't lose your mana between phases and turns. Mm -hmm. But that card has since been eroded to read exactly like Burgie. Gotcha. And yeah, just kind of echoing what you said, I like Burgie a lot, and the Horn I'm not super sold on, uh, because it's kind of expensive, but I mean, once you've got Burgie online, the Horn is just free value. Yeah, and I mean, this is just a thing that happens, too, with your combo decks, is like, okay, I drew spells, and a bunch of them were cantrips, and I cantripped, and now I've got five lands in play and three lands left in my hand. And I mean, this is way better than a Goblin Electromancer in that that game state. So, yeah, way way better. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely love this card, and we'll be just trying it out in a lot of different shells. Um, my number one card is Magda Brazen Outlaw. This is one in a red for a legendary creature, Dwarf Berserker. Other dwarves you control get plus one plus oh. Whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped, create a treasure token. Sacrifice five treasures. Search your library for an artifact or dragon card. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. This card just has too much text. does too much stuff for a two-mana card. If you've got other dwarves, it's completely crazy. If you've got other treasure synergies, then 
this contributes to them by being a very cheap and efficient way to generate treasures. So there's just too much going on here, and you can fit it into a lot of red decks of varying levels of aggression, and I think it's just a really good card. Yeah, I, I agree. It's I think it needs a couple more dwarfs to kind of run home with it, mm -hmm. because this set did not provide a one-drop dwarf. The only one-drop dwarf is in white in like the core set. Mm -hmm. So uh, Rimrock Knight is still really good. But after that, that's that's kind of it. And, and Torbrin, I guess, is a dwarf too. Yeah. But hopefully this is a good enough two-drop that you just play it anyway. And every time you draw, you know, Brimrock Knights and Torbrins, you get supercharged. Mm -hmm. But I, I think this card has still got what it takes just from the treasure. Especially once we can play, you know, Goldspan Dragon. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, Goldspan Dragon just also puts a dragon into your deck if you didn't have any other things to get you know just that's a nice little bonus synergy and yeah it's also cool to have like this card works really well with goldspan dragon too in multiple ways because if you have goldspan dragon out attack you get a treasure they kill your goldspan dragon you've got another treasure and maybe you just accrue treasures this way and eventually you draw a magda and you can sacrifice treasure and put a goldspan dragon into play mm -hmm. yeah i'm and then you know, multiple turns with Goldspan Dragons in play, like four plus four plus four. You don't need to do that too many times before your opponent is just dead. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's uh, let's talk about your red cards. Uh, my red cards are somewhat similar at the top end, but I have no snow cards. That's fair. <laughs> in my bottom end, uh, my number five is Dragonkin Berserker, which is a one R two two human Berserker with first strike. That says, boast abilities you activate cost one less to activate for each dragon you control. Which I don't expect to come up very often. <laughs> uh, but it does have boast for four and a red to create a 5-5 five, five dragon token with flying. Uh, this is a cool red 2-drop that is also a berserker. A lot of the our initial decks I was like kind of brewing around with. I noticed there's a lot of good cards in berserkers, like good card advantage engines. Mm -hmm. And Dragonkin Berserker is just a good two-drop in that sphere. Uh, two-two with first strike is kind of on par with Robber of the Rich, but you, you know, you lose haste, which is huge. Yes. And you get this like weird dragon ability. Uh, for reference, the we didn't talk about the boast thing on Burgie at all, which was you can boast twice a turn instead of once a turn. Yeah, I just and I imagine that it, like. For every thousand burgies that get cast and constructed, that will come up one time or something like that. Like yes, I think it's. I, I looked at all the boast creatures; almost none of them are playable. Yeah, and the ones you do want to activate twice a turn are not good to activate twice a turn. <laughs> like uh, the the vampire tutor guy it doesn't matter how many times you activate him a turn unless you're drawing multiple cards. Sure. And the the angel, the Valkyrie. You have to sacrifice a creature every time you want to draw, every time you want to activate her. So this ability you know, you're gonna um, run out of creatures. It gets cheaper each time you boast. So yeah, I don't think that'll come up too often. <laughs> it's just you know, late game it makes a dragon. Mm -hmm. So on turn five, you can attack with it and then make a dragon, which is huge. It's not a four four dragon; it's a five five dragon. <laughs> the difference between sizes of those is the ability to eat a goldspan dragon or not, mm -hmm. and all like. All of the angels are 4-4s, four so it just outsizes pretty much anything in the air. But yeah, and if this card doesn't die in that combat, which it probably will, it's only a 2-2. But if it doesn't, 
that you can just keep making dragons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a card I'm pretty into. I don't think it'll make huge waves, but if it shows up, it's it's got the stuff it does, and it does pretty well. First Strike is pretty nice with Rimrock Knight, too. So this may survive a combat where it makes a dragon, and then you can make another dragon the next turn that way. Like, I could see that happening. And if you have a Virgio, you could just be a dragon. You know, in yeah, you saved up all of this mana, and then you just start boasting twice a turn. And it gets cheaper each time you do it. Oh yeah, nice. The, the story there would be how many dragons this berserker makes. Yeah, I mean, Burgie goes pretty nicely with Dragonkin Berserker, but a Dragonkin Berserker deck is probably not the same thing as a Burgie deck. So yeah, well, oh well. Uh, my number four is Quakebringer, which is a three red red five four giant berserker. With your opponents can't gain life. Oh, this card also has Foretell for two red red. Uh, but it says your opponents can't gain life, and at the beginning of your upkeep, Quakebringer deals 2 damage to each opponent. This ability triggers only if Quakebringer is on the battlefield, or if Quakebringer is in your graveyard and you control a giant. Uh, I think this card is way too expensive for a hate card. Uh, the raptors that were banned from Ixalan, way more effective. But... Because this card triggers from the graveyard mm -hmm. and deals two damage a turn, that was worth looking to me. Yeah. Like, maybe there's something you can just board this in, especially if you're getting milled by rogues or you have Ox of Aglonus or something like that. And not that many giants that are worth playing, but if you stick a Bone Crusher and deal an extra two of them, that could be the difference between winning or losing. Yeah. But if you draw a Quake Bringer, that could be the difference between winning and losing. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, this this card is just a 5-4 four for 5, and it's not very good at that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. Like, the thing that's worth looking at is, like, it's a free effect out of your graveyard, and basically every single one of those has done something. So there there is something. This is really hard to make work, and because it, like, triggers on upkeep, you can't cheat it with, like, Mutavolt or whatever. So... It is a little... You have to have, like, actual dragon... Or actual giants to make this do anything. And we got Bone Crusher and then a bunch of... Groxa. Marginals. Yeah, I guess that's true. And that's graveyardy. So Yeah, you fill up your deck with... You fill up your graveyard with Throne of Death. Then, you know, you mill over your Quake Bringers and your Croxas so you don't have to draw them. I kind of don't hate Kroxa it, honestly. Play. The problem is drawing Quake Bringers right. is so bad. Drawing, and drawing Croxa is, like, pretty bad, too. So, like, we need... You really need some way to discard these cards for value. Well, so Magmatic Channeler and, uh, like, 4-mana Liliana are, are like, what we got for that, pretty much. And we have Harnfell off of the back of Burgie. <laughs> I guess that's true. I don't know if this is a Burgie <laughs> deck. This deck's getting really complicated, but... Every deck could be a Burgie <laughs> deck. We just have to try hard I enough. I do love that card. Yeah, Quick Ringer, I think mostly bad, but if you can ever make the free effect work, might be worth it. Yeah, I mean, I am, you know, but like my wheels are turning a little more now that, you know, this is a graveyard card that works with Kroxa. Like, I, I there's something, maybe. Maybe if Uro were legal, <laughs> then it triggers off Uro and your opponents can't gain life off Uro. It's just, you know, it works so much better. <laughs> I am not trying to have this card in play, like, ever, pretty much. No, no, no. Oh, the rest of my list is very similar to yours, yeah. though. Uh, number three is Gold Spandragon. 
Number two is Burgi, and number three is Magda. Or number one is Magda. Yep. It's like all excellent cards. Let's go to green. Let's do shall it. Shall we? Yes. Alright, so in green, my number five, I've got Kolvori, God of Kenship. It's a 2GG 2-4 legendary god. As long as you control three or more legendary creatures, Kolvori gets plus four, plus two, and has vigilance, so it grows up to a 6-6. Six, six. Uh, it's got an activated ability of 1G tap. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a legendary creature card from among them and put it onto your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. The backside is the Ringheart Crest. It's a 1G legendary artifact. As it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type, and it has a tap ability to add green. Spin this mana only to cast a creature spell of a chosen type, or a legendary creature spell. So interestingly enough, I wanted to put one of Asika or Kolvori mm -hmm. on this list, because I was kind of brewing with Asika a little. Because I like the Prismatic Bridge, but it's not realistic to try to high roll with that card. Sure. Because, you know, you have to fill your deck with Asikas in order to even have the Prismatic Bridge. And if you ever hit a 1-4, it's not good. So how do you make a Sika actually good? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that was play legendary creatures. So you could use her mana ability mm -hmm. to use the Prismatic Bridge as like a value engine. Right. And once you're in that realm, Colvori you're in the market for yeah. Kolvori. Yeah. And I was while I was building this deck, I was looking at a lot of legendary creatures. And there's just so many legendary creatures in this format. Yeah. Especially in green. Yeah. There's all up and down the curve legendary creatures. Mm -hmm. So having Kolvori be mostly the Ringheart Crest in the early turns, allowing you to deploy all these things. I don't even know what creature type you choose. Like there's different ways to build this deck, but mostly I was using it for legendary stuff. Yeah. You don't ever have to choose God because those are all legendary. So you get that one for free and then whatever creature type you have of your non-God slash legendary creatures. Whatever is best for you at the time, I guess. You just yeah. you throw it it's, it's whatever is the next creature in your hand that you're trying to cast, yeah. And then Kolvori being another payoff in addition to Asika, like being a 6-6. Six, six, mm -hmm. Early game of 2-4 with a activated ability that draws cards is not very good. So you really mostly want to be casting the Ringheart Crest and then only playing Kolvori when there are 6-6? Six, six. Yeah, I, I mean, the other side doesn't have to be great. Like, a 2-mana mana rock is pretty good, and then having well, it be a, very a thing good. later... Yeah, 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 quite good. Uh, and then having it be a thing when you don't want a mana rock, like, that's a really good combination of effects. You know, like, Wolf Willow Haven is a good card, and... That is a 2-2 when you don't want Wolf Willow Haven anymore. And, like, the 2-2 is pretty irrelevant. Uh, this obviously is more limited than Wolf Willow Haven in what you can cast off of it. So you have to build your deck accordingly. But the thing you get when you don't want the rock anymore is a creature that they kind of have to deal with at that point in the game or else it's going to draw you cards. And the like mana rocks are so powerful we haven't had one since i think 10th edition mm -hmm. like they came and play untapped and tapped for mana yeah i mean wolf willow haven counts pretty is it, it's like a very similar play pattern Effect. yeah like you can get the mana immediately as long as it's not your turn two play and we rarely you rarely play a mana rock and play a one drop on turn two like especially a one drop legend yes <laughs> That's yeah. The, I, I think that 
this is very close to a Wolf Willow Haven. So, but yeah, I, I think that the backside is much better than the backside of Wolf Willow Haven. Uh, mainly, like, this is a, like, dual shout-out to Asika, too. Like, I think there could be some legendary stuff mm-hmm. in this format, and it's worth keeping an eye on, like, these two cards. Yeah, and you can do a lot of that in just straight, cre- like, with Surf Aaron and Yorvo, and, like, you just have, mm-hmm. and then Planeswalkers. I guess these are only legendary creatures, so Planeswalkers don't count for any of this stuff, but definitely plenty of green legendary questing beast is legendary Vorinclex is legendary yeah you can use one of my initial game plans was just to use a Sika to cast an early Vorinclex, <laughs> and that's honestly probably just really good it curves exactly into it because of yep. the because of uh castle uh garen brig yep or if you have sir Farron into or even uh joel rail i think is the other two drop green legend mm into a Sika, that's also six mana for Warnclex. Oh, wow, yeah. On your turn four. Huh. Neat. My number four is Typhlora Kill, card I love, even though I've never played with it yet. <laughs> it's a 2GG, three loyalty planeswalker with a static ability of elves you control have tap added black. Uh, plus one is put a plus one on counter on up to one target elf, untap that elf, it gains death touch until end of turn. Zero, make a 1-1 one, one Elf Warrior creature token. And minus six, you get an emblem with whenever you cast an Elf spell, it gains haste until end of turn, and you draw two cards. Mm-hmm. I'm really just still going to try to make Elves work. Yeah, why not? I, I can't I can't help it. I'm fine with that. And if there's an Elves deck, uh, Herald and Tyvar and Herald Unites the Elves, those, that's like a good package of solid cards that all work well together, and Tyvar is pretty strong as long as you're doing some Elf stuff. Yeah. Yep. I'm totally fine with this card. And this is one of those cards that's going to flop completely if Elves doesn't exist. And if it does, it has to go on the Elf deck. So <laughs> there's no in-between with this card. Right, right, right. But it is pretty sweet if Elves are good. Yeah. Uh, Old Growth Troll is a is my number three. It's a GGG 4-4 with Trample. Uh, when it dies, if it's a creature, return it to the battlefield. And then it's an aura enchantment with Enchant Forest you control. And Enchanted Forest has tap, add GG, and one tap, sack this land. Create a tapped 4-4 green troll warrior creature token with Trample. Just a ton of value in this card. Yeah. If you can pay GGG for a card and you want to attack them, this is your, your troll. Yeah. Yeah, I love this card. If, if it's you, just good on every angle. If you want... To have a three drop that gives you devotion, this is the most consistent way to guarantee that you will still have that devotion by your next turn. There's a lot to like about this card. I especially like that you can sacrifice the land to make the troll at the end of your opponent's turn. Mm-hmm. So you inherently play around wrath, not just by this card existing, but yeah, <laughs> with the aura as well. Yeah, and I mean... Like, you can do it immediately, too, if you had mana up. If, if you have two lands up and they kill your stuff, this becomes the aura, and then you just make the 4-4. Four four. So, you know, it kind of has, like, persist or undying in that way if you had mana up and you just get to keep attacking them after a wrath. And token still has trample, so there's no trump block in it. Nope. Yeah, I, this card is really cool. I like this card. My number two is Realm Walker. Uh, 2G, 2-3 creature shapeshifter with changeling so it's a shapeshifter and then also every other creature type mm-hmm. 
As Realmwalker enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. You can look at the top card of your library anytime you'd like. You can cast creature spells of the chosen type from the top of your library. So one of my favorite cards in Omniket was Vizier of the Menagerie, <laughs> uh, because it was a future site for creatures. This card's in many ways just, just so much better. Uh, the main way being it's a three-mana creature and not a four-mana creature. It's a three-mana creature that's also... Like, this is a, a tribal card, right? Where Vizier was more of like a value card, mm -hmm. because you could just play whatever creatures you wanted to. But because tribal decks typically feed off each other, they work really well together, that's why they're tribal decks. This card works in the tribe by being a part of the tribe, and also just gets you more yep. fuel to get your engines going, your like stuff together, have your parts all start humming. I wonder what the percentage of times this card names elves versus the percentage of time it names any other creature type in Constructed. I think it'll name elves most of the time. Yeah. But uh maybe there's a common creature type maybe like that legends deck will find out exactly what we're naming with the ring heart crest and then your realm walker can either name god or that creature type yeah i mean it's probably just gonna name god a lot of the time but yeah no this card is really cool one thing that i also love about it is it's a great secondary card advantage engine in a collected company deck that is also a hit off of Collected Company, which is a really difficult combo to to make work. Like, Tireless Tracker is one of the very few things that is that. Obviously, this only works in a tribal Collected Company deck, but... Like Bant Spirits? Like Bant Spirits. This is a very weird version of Bant Spirits that we're building here. Hey, Bant Spirits has a bunch of 3-mana 2-3s in it already. And this is just another one. Yeah. It's also Spirit... Yeah, and then we can get uh, the figure of destiny. Uh, what is it? Ascendant spirit. We can get like, yeah. just like the weird spirits that like don't make sense in the deck, and but they all are technically spirits. We'll, and call it ant spirits. And then the savannah lions, which is also a white card. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Usher of the fallen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're really, coming to really doing new it. age ant spirits. Now, I, th I think Realmwalker is pretty good, and it'll find a number of homes and probably in elves more often than anything else, but it does have the flexibility to be in non-elf tribal decks. And my number one is, I think, the best card in the set. I think so, too. It's just four and Clex Monstrous Raider. 4GG, 6-6, Trample Haste. <sighs> if you would put one or more permit... Oh, man, I already messed up. <laughs> If you would put one or more counters on a permanent player, put twice that many of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent player instead. And if an opponent would put one or more counters on a permanent player, you put half that many of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent player instead, rounded down. Whew. So, Vorinclex. Yeah. It's just so huge. And, okay, stuff about this card, right? Like, don't be fooled by the mana cost. This card costs three gg like this is not a six mana card you just get to play four castle garen briggs in every deck with this that alone like holy crap this card that alone is very scary yes because the questing beast is already annoying me so much in standard just being a four four haste with a bunch of abilities that rarely matter mm -hmm. except for death touch uh vorinclex has an ability that is huge 
and that is just the complete inability of your opponent to do anything with their planeswalkers and their sagas or sagas yeah the main ways that you answer giant creatures like this are like play a five mana planeswalker and minus on it or play elspeth conquers death and neither of those things kill voringlex yeah you cast elspeth conquers death you go to put your initial counter on it and then voringlex is like nah you can't do that <laughs> and then you put zero counters on it and your your saga never triggers the exile this thing and then you just die to voringlex it's so sad. Vorinclex is so strong. Six six power haste creatures are very few and far between. Six power haste creatures at six mana are just Vorinclex, I think, with Trample. It's going to kill you so fast. Yeah. And, and like this card would be good without Castle Garenbrig in the format, but the fact that Garenbrig is in the format, uh, like this thing is just going to be egregious, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to dying to Vorinclex many times in my future. I mean, it does encourage certain things. It does rather than relying on, you know, Elspeth conquers deaths and planeswalkers to deal with big creatures, like it really ups the value of Heartless Act and Murderous Rider. And Demoscar. Yeah, just like the the regular old removal spells that can kill large creatures, but you don't get like huge amounts of value out of them uh so you have to play more of those and then find a way to leverage like hey i'm getting a mana advantage by killing this large creature with a two mana spell so you know there is some play here because it does have a relatively high mana cost but you know like when you play your elder gargaroth and it gets heartless acted like that feels really really bad but this thing has haste like if you play it and kill a planeswalker, who cares what happens after that? Like, you got your value. And if they don't have an immediate answer to it, and in particular if it's shutting down cards in their hand, whew, it's gross. Cards are really good. The best part is after they wrath you and you play an Elder Gargaroth, they have a whole turn to deal with it. And if they make, you know, a chump block shark on the following turn they get another turn to deal with it mm -hmm. uh, whereas if you wrath and then draw vorinclex you smack them for six and if they're not dead their shark does nothing <laughs> because of this card is trample they wanted to they have to make a big shark well gargaroth has trample too does gargaroth have trample i think you're right yeah i whenever that card rarely attacks me i usually just heartless act it <laughs> yes I knew it had to reach. That was the important ability to me. Yeah. Yeah. So mostly the haste thing is, I guess, the difference. Yeah, I, I think that is the main difference is the haste thing. And also, we have not even talked about the part of the card where it makes a lot of your cards way better. If you have planeswalkers in your deck, this makes them crazy. If you untap with this and you cast a planeswalker, you just get to alt it. Yeah, luckily, not that many green planeswalkers that are relevant in standard. At least not with like ultable text right like vivian, vivian monsters advocate she doesn't have an ultimate you can just like use her a bunch but you already have boring quacks that play so i mean what other creatures could you possibly want to tutor for <laughs> the nissa is kind of unplayable sure and tyvar kel i mean sure i guess you can ult him but you're just gonna kill him with boring quacks before that even matters right so. although probably your elves deck with tyvar kel like, you're probably playing some number of Vorinclex in that deck. Oh, for sure. Your Tyvar makes your elves tap for mana. Yeah. 
and Vorinclex is just that good. It's just like the best thing that you can be spending any amount of mana on. <laughs> Name Praetor with Realmwalker so you can get your tier four. Class. I just want to get to it a turn earlier, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. That's the one thing that this card doesn't have going for it. It has terrible creature types. Phyrexian and Praetor. I mean, they're great creature types. They just don't have any rules bonuses. Yeah. I think they're also the only, that's the only creature with those two creature types in standard, other than changelings. Well, Phyrexian is a, is Phyrexian a new creature type? Have we had creatures with- This is the only card with Phyrexian creature type. Okay. There are five other predators, but I believe those are all a new Phyrexia. Yeah, and so this is the first time that they've distinguished, like, this is a Phyrexia, this isn't- he's not from around here. I think they were always horrors or something like that Yeah. for a long time mercenaries yeah some of them <laughs> no was it uh xantra a minion or something like that oh i'm sure there were definitely minion phyrexians yeah for sure anyway Warrenclex is fantastic yeah that card is really really good I, I think it's like by far the best card in this set i i agree my green cards my number five is blessing of Frost. another snow yeah, card yeah. come on doing all these Chris. snow cards then none of them are <laughs> okay, gonna be playable at all but i'm just like Com being completely optimistic about making snow mana see i didn't look at chris's list but he didn't look at mine before we like go to the color we're starting to talk about so i like flipped his thing i see another snow card I'm like come <laughs> yeah, on yeah. i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off that please continue what was your number five three and a green for a snow sorcery distribute x plus one plus one counters among any number of creatures you control where x is the amount of snow spent to cast a spell then draw a card for each creature you control with power four or greater Look, if you can play, and it's really hard to play a green-white deck, I totally get it. If you can play a Conclave Mentor deck with Blessing of Frost, like, this card is crazy good to resolve. But you probably can't. But for a living in Magical Christmas Land, this is a really good card. You certainly can't play a Conclave Mentor deck in a snow deck. <laughs> like, green-white is such a weak color combination. Because green doesn't properly compensate for anything. White is... Okay, so maybe that's a bad way of putting it. White is good at so few things mm -hmm. that you're basically just a green deck with a bunch of weak cards and Skyclave Hunters. Yeah. <laughs> Skyclave Apparitions. Yeah, sky, sorry, Skyclave Apparitions. Yeah. And then you want to make your, like, tenuous two-color mana base, which are still not great in Standard because of the way Standard works. You make even more tenuous by forcing this card to do almost nothing unless you have a bunch of Snowlands. And then you're just needing to have Conclave Venture in play for this to be, like, good. Yeah. It's just so much to ask. It is a lot to ask, but I do think this card is sweet. But yes, probably completely unplayable. My number four is Realm Walker. I think this card is very good. I think it does a lot of neat things. Uh, my number three is Old Growth Troll. Solid at a bunch of different things that you want a three drop to be doing in a couple of different green decks. So I think it's going to see a lot of play over multiple formats. Uh, my number two, like, here's just my elf card that made my green cards. And I chose the two drop over the Planeswalker because you're probably going to run more of these in your elf deck than you are going to run the Planeswalker, so, you know. But which one's going to make you feel better? Probably the Planeswalker. I don't know. This is probably going to, like, win more games, though, honestly. This is a, like, like hand, opening hands with this card in it are better than opening hands with Tyvar Kell in it. This is Elvish uh, Warmaster. Yes. 
one and a green for a 2-2 elf warrior. Whenever one or more other elves enters the battlefield under your control, create a 1-1 green elf warrior creature token. This ability triggers only once each turn, and it's got seven mana. Elves you control get plus two, plus two, and gain death touch until end of turn. It's just a lot for a two-drop in your elf deck. Yep, this is, I think, the best two-drop elf. It, it's There's really good two-drop elves in this set between this one and the Elvish Berserker yeah. Midnight Reaper. Yeah. Uh, I, I like this card a lot, too. I, I think the real the draw to elves to me is actually Herald, but any excuse to put more elves in a deck to get all the stuff working together, for sure, I'm, I'm all for. Yep. And it's cool that this guy triggers off of like you uh, plussing your Tyvar to make or zeroing your tyvar to make an elf token yeah. you get two elf tokens that way uh so i think that this is a linchpin of the elf deck if it works and my number one is obviously vorinclex i think this card is just completely bonkers you want to start us off with multicolor yeah and i think we're just gonna have completely different lists pretty much because there were just a lot of good multicolor cards so i picked the ones that i that just like appealed to me like in a gut sense yeah i, I feel that um, my number five is Coma Cosmos Serpent. This is three green, green, blue, blue. So seven mana for a six, six. It can't be countered. At the beginning of each upkeep, create a three, three blue serpent creature token named Coma's Coil. Sacrifice another serpent. Choose one. Tap target permanent. Its activated abilities can't be activated this turn. Or Coma Cosmos Serpent gains indestructible until end of turn. I mostly see this as a sideboard card in the blue green you know in the genesis ultimatum ramp matchups when you both have negates post board and it's just like i don't care how many counter spells you have i'm gonna play this thing and then you're just never beating this on board yeah i agree this is also in my top five i really like this card yeah it's just kind of a super crazy verdant force yes. seven mana that makes a three three every turn not every one of your turns but also your opponent's turns yeah and the three threes just have a ton of utility in that like you can be using half of your supply of three threes to just turn off their planeswalkers or whatever and yeah but you go to your turn with two three threes sacrifice one of them to tap their blocker swing in for nine with just coma right like it, this card is such a huge clock it, it's really expensive which is its huge downside. Mm -hmm. And it does just die to Heartless Act. So Yeah, it does, it, at any point. Like, they could have it the turn you play Coma, or they could even have it, if they're tapped out, the upkeep before you make a Serpent. Right. But I, that's why I think it's mostly a sideboard card, but going to be a really effective juke sort of sideboard card. Yeah, it's real. I think it's really, really good in ramp decks. Yep. Uh, my number four is really speculative. This is Battle of Frost and Fire. Three blue red for a saga. It's chapter one is it deals four damage to each non-giant creature and each planeswalker. It's chapter two is scry three, and it's chapter three is whenever you cast a spell with converted mana cost five or greater this turn, draw two cards, then discard a card. This is kind of tough to make work, and it's it's definitely saying like play me in a giant's deck, which you know I'm not particularly interested in playing. But if the sizes of things are right such that, you know, a kind of expensive four damage sweeper is pretty good. Uh, and then this gives you a bunch of value on top of that. A scry three and then a draw two and discard one on, on the third chapter. If the the meta is right, like this is a really powerful card. 
I think this card is unplayable garbage. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> because I am really predisposed to liking like kind of bad is it cards <laughs> that serve a role. Mm-hmm. This one to me is the the board sweep that gives you a little bit of value afterwards. The thing is, it's just not a good board sweep. Yeah, it's just too expensive. Four, four damage at five mana is not a good rate. Like sometimes fumigate is pretty bad mm-hmm. by just being expensive. This card doesn't even kill everything. Right. And even putting aside the fact that it can't kill Bone Crusher Giant <laughs> is non-trivial. Yeah, that is actually a pretty big deal. That's true. Uh, and then, you know, you scry, that's fine, whatever. The chapter three is just really insulting to me, though, because this is a chapter that says, all right, now you've you've finally finished the board and scry, so you've got some value out of your five-mana sorcery and your probably kind of slow deck. Now I want you to tap out on this turn specifically to get more card advantage. And I am not for that in any way. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, like, designed to be part of, like, a tap-out deck. Like, you're not playing counter spells in the deck that has this card in it, you know? I was not impressed with the Giants in the set. No, they really didn't get there, I don't think. Like, I, I can understand you can't have cards be close to the power level of Bonkers Giant. I get that. But the best giant in the set is Quakebringer, a card we both just said we would never want to see in play. <laughs> well, so what does that tell you about the quality of giants in the yeah, set? Yeah, probably not great. So, yeah, this card is probably pretty bad, but meh. Uh, my number four is Showdown of the Skulls. Two, a red and a white for a saga. Uh, number one is exile the top four cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards, and it's two and three are whatever you cast a spell this turn. Put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. I just think this card does like a lot of stuff that just kind of works together well. Four cards is a pretty decent number to uh, escape the wilds for, and then getting a bunch of plus one plus one counters of value over the next couple of turns the fact that the spells you get with it feed the chapters well feeds chapter two but not three just like a a solid refill in a deck with creatures and then has some amount of synergy with like runaway steamkin maybe with burgy something like that like there's cool stuff you can do with it but even just at a base level, it's refill and then get bonus plus one plus one counters. I, I think this is a good card. It's just in bad colors, yeah. but it's a good card. It's in one bad color. Yeah, it's in a bad color combination. Right. Like, this was one of the very first cards previewed. And my evaluation of it hasn't really changed. It feels like it's a fine card. Like, the, the effect is really good. The problem is the color combination. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my number two multicolor card is Binding the Old Gods. Two black green for a saga. Chapter one, destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls. Chapter two, search your library for a forest card. Put it on the battlefield tap, then shuffle your library. Chapter three, creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn. The inclusion of the nonsense chapter three mostly just gives you an opportunity to blink this after chapter two. So it is clearly very good in a Yorion deck. And generally just i think this is 
a really good version. I liked the idea of Death Sprout, but it was never good enough. But this kills planeswalkers and it kills enchantments and artifacts as well. Uh, the rampant growth is like pretty slow because you wait a turn for it to happen and then it comes into play tapped. But it does get you try lands and whatever because it gets any forest. And certainly blinking it is just really, really strong. The fact that you can kill whatever their best thing is and then you search up a forest and then you cast a Yorion, kill whatever their best thing is, and then you search up another forest and then you just have a ton of mana. I think this card is very good. Yeah, I think this card's solid. I don't rate it nearly as highly because I think it's a little too slow, unlike every regard. Mostly because, like, paying four to destroy an online permanent is a little on the slow side at sorcery speed. It, but it is still a good effect, especially since you ramp afterwards. Yeah. It's just that I think blinking it is maybe a little hard to do. Uh, mostly because the color combinations are weird. I just don't... You have to be either. Like, I think Abzan Yorion is just gonna be a deck so like that's most of the reason why i I have this card so high because i think it's like the basis of that deck existing and i think it's gonna be good well i think the basis of yoria abzan yoria existing is like trail of crumbs stuff right right and you can get this off of trail of crumbs this is a removal spell that you can get off of trail of crumbs and i think that's a really big deal yeah i didn't think about that That, that's actually kind of huge yeah i think this card is now that you've said that pretty solid in that role yeah so and, and you know the fact that you're a gilded goose deck means that the four mana part of this card is a little bit mitigated. So and also, well, okay. So a big problem here, of course, is that if this is your kill anything card, it does not kill Vorinclex, and so that might be a huge weakness for this type of deck. Wait, why doesn't it kill Vorin? Oh, because it's goodness. a saga. It's saga. Oh no. Yeah, that's a that's a little bit of a rough one. Yeah, I think Vorin Clex will be very popular. Yeah, and, and like so, your main removal spells in an Abzan Yorian deck, at, at you know baseline, if you're just constructing it to be a powerful deck, are like Skyclave Apparition and Binding the Old Gods, and those those don't kill Vorin Clex. Gotta put some Heartless Axe in your deck. Yep, I mean that's just the thing is, you're gonna have to run Heartless Axe in this standard. Yep. Uh, my number one multicolor card is Valky God of Lies slash Tybalt Cosmic Imposter. One in a black for a 2-1 god. When Valky enters the battlefield, each opponent reveals their hand. For each opponent, exile a creature card they reveal this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. X, choose a creature card, exile with Valky with converted mana cost X. Valky becomes a copy of that card. And then Tybalt is a 5 black red, 5 loyalty planeswalker. When he comes in... Oh my god, these cards have so much text. When he comes... <laughs> you can do it. I read Vorin Clex. <laughs> but this is two cards. <laughs> when he enters the battlefield, you get an emblem with... You may play cards, exile with Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells. Plus two, exile the top card of each player's library. Minus three, exile target artifact or creature. Minus eight, exile all cards from all graveyards. Add red, red, red. I mean, just the fact that this is a powerful endgame planeswalker with a completely acceptable two mana card on the other side of it that combination alone is really good and then stuff like the 
fact that this is a great card against an Uro deck. You take the Uro out of their hand before they get to use it, and then they have to deal with this, or else you're just attacking with an Uro on turn three. Uh, that's very, very powerful. And also, you can put a couple of these into Jund, and then if you ever Blood Braid into it, you just win the game. I'm Like, I'm not kidding. I think that's good. I think that's what Jund is going to do if it exists. And it gives it so much more game against Uro, which is like one of the things that has been completely driving Jund out of the metagame. Uh, I think this might be, if Jund can exist, it's because this gives it a shot in the arm. Yeah, I think Jund needs to be reimagined. Yeah. Like, I think Valky is a Valky slash Tibble. Both are incredibly strong against Uro. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe blood braiding onto it to get Tibble is quite good, but you don't need to be the same you know, Liliana, Bob, Tarmogoyf deck it's always been. Mm -hmm. You can just, like, do different stuff and have a Blood Braid off in your deck. Yeah, like, I don't know what form the other cards are. Maybe you are more of, like, a Season Pyromancer kind of thing. I, like, I, I, I don't know exactly how you're building it, but I I am ex I, I think that it is actually a potentially good start to a deck to have Valky and Blood Braid Elf. Because I think... Valky is a good card. You're happy to draw it, particularly against the Uro decks. And then every time that you flip to Bolt with Bloodbraid Elf, you know, you, that really feels like cheating. I, I think as far as non-cheating Tibble into play goes, mm -hmm. this card's still just really good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, in just a standard black-red deck, this is a great card. Gotta figure out how to blink it with Yorion, but... Yeah. <laughs> every permanent we have to blink with Yorion. that's just the rule <laughs> yeah this uh, because tybalt is the backside you don't get like you're, you're not super value cheating it into play but you are like resetting the look at their hand i guess no i think this card's just very strong yeah the the fail side like you said it already like the fail side of having a two mana like fine disruptive card mm -hmm. really bridge does a lot to bridge to your seven mana like super card advantage planeswalker yeah yeah like if table cosmic imposter resolves it's really hard to get out from like it comes down and kills something that you can then cast for the rest of the game and, like you you have access like even if they deal with the tibble that you can still get that thing yeah and if it can also kill the great henge at mostly the great henge <laughs> at Embercleave. So if Tybalt resolves in like any Great Henge thing, mm -hmm. you can immediately take the card advantage and it off the table while still having one in Tybalt. Even if you can't cast the Great Henge right then, you can still start exiling the top card of everyone's library and playing lands off of them as well. And then that eventually lets you cast the Great Henge and or every other card you exile. Yep. It's just such a huge card advantage. Yep. And playing Valky you can take the Voran clicks out of their hand. Oh, perfect. <laughs> then on turn six, you can have a Voran That You can make Valky into a Voran in response to one of their sagas or planeswalkers. <laughs> the dream. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, just keep up six mana and see if they walk into it. I mean, I would, honestly, the first just time. Not, wouldn't even think about think it. Not think about it at all, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, Ugin time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what deck I'm playing with Warren Clex and Ugin in it, but you know, we'll figure it out. That doesn't sound impossible. Some green deck with a lot of mana. The Feasting Troll King deck had some amount of Ugins available to it. Like That's true. 
All right, my my multicolored cards are kind of similar, but I had some speculative ones. Oh yeah, me too. So my number five is my cute little saga that I like, mm-hmm. the Raven's Warning. Uh, one white blue for an Asaga. Chapter one is make a one one bird token with flying. You gain two life. Chapter two is whenever one or more creatures you control with flying deal combat damage to a player this turn. Look at that player's hand and draw a card. Number three is you can put a card you own from outside the game on top of your library. <laughs> That's so weird. I know. It's got a lot of different stuff on it. But basically, the way I envision this card playing out is just kind of a really, really, really slow wish that, like, especially in permission matchups or like mid rangey piles, especially the Orion being able to get a token and then peek at their hand to know exactly what to play around really turbocharges the wish ability on the next turn. The bad part is that you, you don't get the wish card until the turn after the chapter. Yeah, I... This card is so slow. It's incredibly slow. It's like absolutely the slowest card that I have seen today. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There had to have been a slower card on your list. No, if you're playing this as a wish card, you play it. Next turn, you do something. Next turn, you wish and put it on top of your library. Next turn, you draw the card. <laughs> well, that's why you have two of them, right? So you can draw. So that you're, yep, yep. you draw immediately off your bird okay. and you peek again. All right. Yeah, yeah. This is this was a speculative one for sure, but I. I like having the cards that say uh, you can put a card you own from outside the game into this this game. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really strong effect, and I like like keeping note of them. Yeah, I agree. But those are at their best when you can do it and cast the card yeah. that you just got. Yeah, for sure. This one probably is a little bit too much work. It's very cute though, and, and, and there are a lot. Of art. Yeah, there were a lot of... The, the flavor's also really cool, too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cards I really wanted with number five. I For the longest time, I had uh, the Blood Sky Massacre mm-hmm. at number five, which is the Berserker tribal saga. It, like, makes a Berserker, then it gives all your Berserkers. When you attack, you draw a card and lose one life, and I have no idea what chapter three is. But but that was, uh, that was there for a while, because the Berserker deck looked... Like there could be something there. Yeah, it is awkward that so many cards make Berserker tokens and the Berserker Midnight Reaper doesn't draw cards off of the tokens. I think it had to be that way, though, because making elf tokens was too strong. Yeah, if you gain, yeah, if you drew cards off of your elf tokens in that elf deck that just, like, spits them out onto the board, that would be pretty wild. You just, like, play your Elvish Warmaster, then you play your Skimfar Avenger, make a token, they wrath you, you draw a million cards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, my number four are my pet gold cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put two here because I'm cheating. <laughs> They're related. Uh, it's Harold, King of Skemfar, uh, one BG three two legendary elf warrior with menace. Uh, when Harold enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You can reveal an elf, a warrior, or a Tyvar card from among them. Tyvar is the planeswalker from earlier. Put that card into your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in random order. Alongside him is Harold Unites the Elves, which is the 2BG Saga. Chapter 1 is mill three cards, put an elf or Tyvar guard from the bat graveyard onto the battlefield. 
Chapter 2, put a plus one counter on each elf you control. And Chapter 3, whenever an elf you control attacks, target creature and opponent controls, get minus one, minus one until end of turn. So Herald is the main draw to the elf deck for me. Just a 1GB 3-2 menace that essentially kind of tutors a card, kind of draws a card really, mm -hmm. is a really good raid. Like Rogue Refiner was banned. Rogue Refiner did more stuff, mm -hmm. but that, that rate of 3 mana 3-2 that replaces itself while like doing more stuff, in Rogue Refiner's case it was energy, in Herald's case it's elf synergies. Yep. And, you know, uh, Lanowar Visionary has seen plenty of play. Three mana, two, two, draw a card, and the thing you, the extra thing you get is it's a, it gives you mana. Uh, similar, just like that's a good rate. And the, the Elf Saga, it just kind of goes along with it. If, if Herald is good and Elves is slightly grindy, uh, the, the enchantment that rebuilds your board and then makes it huge is going to be played. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a cute combo I saw on Twitter today with uh, Herald Unites the Elves. I don't know if you saw this. But you can basically build a self-mill deck with like Throne of Geth and Herald Unites the Elves and stuff like that. And you cast Herald Unites the Elves, milling three cards. You get the shapeshift, the changeling clone that can clone anything, except for it retains snow and legendary. Mm -hmm. So you clone the Herald Unites the Elves mill again and you get another copy of the snow changeling which you then use to copy the first one which is also herald unites the elves so that's a loop where each time you get to bring back a shapeshifter changeling copying herald unites the elves and bringing back the same thing okay that's really cute so you mill your entire deck and on the last loop you can bring back a land or like by a land i mean you have to you bring back the changeling again but it can copy a land mm -hmm. And then you can cast Thassa's uh, Oracle. <laughs> There's also a way to get Thassa's Oracle out of your graveyard, but I, I don't know what it but is. Hold on, how are it. we doing this? How are we getting the changelings back into the graveyard? They, they're legend rule each other out. Oh, okay. So you need two in your graveyard. Mm -hmm. And then that, okay, I see. Okay, I didn't realize that that was a legend. But yeah, that's that's like the uncommon blue green legend changeling guy i think it's a rare I but yeah i think that guy's actually uncommon and i was surprised by it is why i am remembering that i mean it does have a lot of text on right. it i don't know the name of the card it starts with an m that's all i've got morit of the frost yeah huh, okay i guess like it was uncommon so in my head it wasn't legendary but there's plenty of legendary uncommons floating around these days neat Okay, cool. So th that's like not related to Harold King of Skimfar, but it is a neat little combo I saw. Mm -hmm. That's probably unplayable. But, you know, in the interest of science, I had to share it. <laughs> my number three is Coma, Cosmos Surfeit. We talked about that a little earlier. Uh, my number two is Kaya the Inexorable, a three white black, five loyalty legendary planeswalker. With plus one, put a ghost form counter on up to one target non-token creature. It gains whenever this creature dies or is put into exile. Return it to its owner's hand and make a 1-1 one, one white spirit creature token with flying. Minus three is exile target non-land permanent. And minus seven is you get an emblem with at the beginning of your upkeep. You can cast a legendary spell from among your hand, from your, hand your graveyard, or among cards you own in exile without paying its mana cost. 
Uh, Kindness just in all mixed lists, and those are pretty much always good as long as the colors they are in are fine. Mm-hmm. And with Yorion's existence, I believe Kaya to be a perfectly good planeswalker. Yep, I think she will be fine. Uh, I kind of didn't put her on my list, and I should have, but kind of didn't because I'm just like, boy, like the stock of Obnixiluses goes way down in a Vorinclex heavy metagame because it does, yeah. But yeah, I mean, she just like is clearly good in a deck that starts like. Yorian in the sideboard for Skyclave Apparition, put some Kaya's in there. Like, we'll just add some other cards and it'll be a fine deck. Yeah, there's not too much to say about Kaya. She's just a solid, reliable Planeswalker. That's made worse by the existence of Vorinclex, mm-hmm. but that's true for every Planeswalker, so... You can't even use... Oh, you can use her plus one. You put a... You don't get to put the Ghost Form counter on the creature but it gets the ability, so you just, like, lose the ability to track the creatures that have that ability. <laughs> that's, that's pretty... That's the only reason the Ghost Form counter exists. It's like a, the ability's not tied to the counter, it's just right. a reminder. So Vorinclex just comes into play and creates memory issues. Yeah, that's kind of funny. <laughs> Though, I mean, Kaya's not really doing anything once Vorinclex is on the battlefield. Like, you, you can't plus her anymore. Like, you can plus her, but right. she's not getting loyalty. Right. And if she was in play when Vorinclex came into play, she is dead by the time you untap. If she was not in play, she comes into play with two loyalty counters and can't minus on Vorinclex, so. My number one is Valky and Tybalt. That's just, I think. Yeah. Alongside Vorinclex, I think Valky and Tybalt are, like, number two for me. Yep. I think that those those two cards are the best cards in the set. And, I mean, Valky, Tybalt, I think gives a lot of competition in the like best card race because i think that they extend farther back into different formats than vorinclex yeah that's fair vorinclex is just so strong in like standard magic yeah yeah any format where you can run four castle garam rigs like vorinclex is a crazy card uh want to move on to colorless cards sure so my colorless cards are all lands because <laughs> i didn't really like the artifacts yeah uh, I've got Great Hall of Starnheim as my number five. It's a black coming to play tap land with an activated ability of white, white, black, tap, sack. Create a 4 4 into warrior token with flying and vigilance. Activate this the only time you could activate a sorcery. I think I kind of missed this card because there are 10 cards in this cycle and I just like glazed over as I was looking at each of them. Uh, yeah, they're kind of weird too because they're double colored activations but they only tap for one color of mana which is kind of unusual yeah uh this one i think is on the low end of playable the comfortably tap plans are pretty bad yeah as a just point of reference yeah especially if they only make one color of mana yeah so we're looking at like memorial of folly type of effects need to be like it needs to be worth it mm-hmm. to have a tap landing deck. I don't know if making an angel is a good start because the angel stuff seems a little on the weak side to me. But there are a lot of really good white, black, gold cards in the set. There's Kaya and there's like two enchantments that almost made my list. Mm-hmm. The two of the sagas in white, black were pretty good. Yeah. And the saga, like the one saga is angel based. So having yeah. an additional angel generator in your deck makes it a lot better. 
so if you can stomach like playing a black tap land in as a trade-off for a 4-4 angel like the the activation is quite good yeah one thing that like definitely gives me pause is that this makes your castles all of these lands make your castles worse which is a bigger deal the better the castle in that color is and black castle is a really good land and subbing yeah, the, out swamps the, for non-swamps hurts. The black one and the green one are going to be like really hard to play their respective abilities. Yeah. Ability lands, I guess. Yeah. Whereas like the blue ones, you do whatever you want with. Yeah, like I can replace Castle Ventress with weird other ability lands and not feel bad about it. But placing Castle Lockthwain, like you got to be doing something pretty good. Uh, number four, I have Gates of Isfil, which is another of the same cycle. Most of the cards in this are the sure. same cycle. Uh, it's the white. It's a white tap land with two white UU tap sack, gain two life and draw two cards. Uh, this is more of a Memorial to Genius. It's just uh, worse than Memorial of Genius by like a lot, I think. How by a lot? I it just like, I mean, I guess the fact that it costs such a specific combination of colors is probably not like that big of a deal because you're only sacrificing these lands when you have like 10 lands in play or whatever anyways yeah but like it just requires you to be blue and white for basically the same effect as a card that only required blue for and that's kind of a bummer i feel like i mean that is kind of a bummer like and definitely this being a white land instead of a blue land is certainly worse mm -hmm. But the ability is better than Memorial Genius just because the, the two life in this list hex is typically relevant. Yeah. I, but again, like, the need for these lands is, like, drastically reduced by the fact that, like, Castle Ardenvale is fantastic in blue-white decks. Yep. And, like, these lands are always going to be like that because the castles are so good. Yeah, I can probably stop saying it, but... Like, the next one is uh, another black land, which you're probably not going to play over Castle Lockland. It's Inverstrom Skullcairn. Mm -hmm. Uh, tap black land that's one b r r tap sack deal three damage to a player and they discard a card granny up ruins was banned not too long ago so if there's ever a deck that like wants to play slow attrition maybe with crooks to add up the damage and then use lands to finish off your opponent that's like a reasonable strategy yeah i, I mean ramy up ruins was really good in a deck that had a bunch of burn and one drops in it and this land comes into play tapped yeah, it's not a good comparison, but it is a land that is a finisher. Sure. I like the next card a lot, though. It's the World Tree, yeah. which is not in this cycle. But it is a to play tapped land because we can't have nice things. <laughs> come to play tapped, adds a green. As long as you control six or more lands, all of your lands have tap at one mana of any color. And then it's got an activated ability for white, white, blue, blue, black, black, red, red, green, green. Tap sack. Search your library for any number of god cards, put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So the last ability doesn't matter, really. Yeah. But the all of your lands tap for any color you want forever is really strong, as long as you can make it to that point. Yeah, Yeah. It it's also, if nothing else, it is the, it's way better to get for, with like, with Golos to enable activating it, because it's you don't go down a mana like you do with uh what was the the land, the cascading cataracts cascading cataracts yeah, yeah. You, you don't have to lose a mana in order to activate so you can do it 
more quickly. So if nothing else, like this is a huge upgrade for that spot. But I, I think that, yeah, it is really cool as a way to like, I can just, what do I want in my six and seven spots? I can put Dream Trawler in there now, like whatever. And maybe you can activate the God ability, but that's not really the point. It's, I, I, it's just to fix your mana like completely. And it doesn't actually pretty early Yeah, with only six lines. Six lines is not that many. If you like fertile footsteps and like you get there pretty quickly. It's honestly should have been my number one because it is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Like there's a bunch of decks you can build when you're no longer restricted by colors. Yeah, I think I just don't know. Like I don't have the imagination to like really think of like what you can safely stretch to with this. But I think that we will see like kind of categories of decks that we have kind of never seen before with this enabling. I mean, this is Chromatic Lantern on a land. and Yeah, is I don't know if there's anything that tutors for lands in this set, or not the set specifically, but in standard. I don't think there is. But that means that any card they print in the future that tutors for any land or like looks like Elvish, uh, the one that looked at the top six and you could put a land into play, Elvish like anything yeah. like that. Yeah gets huge stock if the world tree exists definitely uh, my number one which should have been number two is port of carfell uh, going to play tapped blue land with three uvb tap sack mill four cards then return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped this just kind of gave this is probably worse than the uh crawling caverns is that what it's called crawling barons as a win condition because it requires you to have creatures in your deck and then mill but you can activate this at instant speed, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I So you can... Yeah, what's up? This is my favorite one of the cycle, I think. Uh, well, yeah, it's like the most powerful effect. Yeah. And the fact that we have... Like, I don't know if this ever is a thing, but what is what is the name of that? The big whale with the, like, one in a blue... Sleight of hand ability? Yeah, with the sleight of hand ability. Like I don't know. You know, that, that just goes into your graveyard... At, I mean, and it's not, like, insane to reanimate, but it's just, like, there. And if this is what you do at some point, you know, you're not paying a lot for, for either of these things. I mean, you obviously want something powerful to bring back as part of your deck. And I don't really know exactly what that is. You know, a lot of the creatures we have that are really good are, like, yeah, this creature is great to cast at five or six mana. Like, yeah. uh, and not necessarily a gigantic monster that you reanimate it and it's like well can't win now it's like oh these are really efficient creatures yeah this is a card i like but i don't think is that good anymore mm -hmm. because nowadays we can just cast warren clucks for six mana instead of that be like reanimate shield or whatever <laughs> yeah but if you can fit a couple of comes into play tap lands in your deck without it really costing you too much and you have some big creatures in your deck too. You just happen to. You know, this can be a really powerful way to leverage. Like, I got a little flooded. Let's turn it into a big creature. It's definitely a powerful effect. Yeah, that's, that's kind of it for mine. The World Tree probably should have been number one because it's like the coolest card. Yeah, it definitely has the most implications of any of these. What do you have going on in your list? I stuck a bunch of artifacts on mine, mo mostly because I figured you'd stick a bunch of lands on yours. And because of the competition with castles, I could not get particularly excited about the comes into play tapped cycle. So I, I just like didn't really include very many of those. I mean, I think those cards are just neat. 
mm-hmm. but like Throne of Eldrain is just going to be one of those sets where cards you can compare to other cards and sets coming out are just always going to be worse than the throne versions. Yeah. Like Rankle. So, yep. I mean... that I mean, that's okay. totally fair. And they, they will have much more opportunity to see play once the castles are gone. Yeah. So, my number five is a totally unplayable card in Constructed Magic. This is Maskwood Nexus. It's a four-mana artifact. Creatures you control are every creature type. The same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. Three, tap, create a 2-2 blue shapeshifter creature token with changeling. This card, you can't ever cast in Constructed Magic, but it's going to have a huge impact on Magic for the entire history, future history of the game, because all of these conversations are going to come up, and, like, the third thing that somebody says was a joke about, but what if you have a Maskwood Nexus in play? Because it totally, like, changes the rule of the rules of how a million different cards work if all of the creatures in your deck are now changelings. So it's going to be a thing that is present in infinite magic conversations. So I put it on my list. And it's also... And also a combo with the world tree. Oh yeah, they're all gods now? See, yeah. you see we're doing it already. <laughs> this is literally exactly what I'm talking about. Now, like, anytime you talk about any card that references a creature type in any way, like, this is, like, the third step of the conversation is like, ooh, but what if Maskwit Nexus is in play? All right, let's let's just try to avoid talking about creature types. What's what's your number four? Oh no, I'm going to be one of the people that goes, "Ooh, what if Masquerade <laughs> Nexus is in play?" This is really important. Also, it's like in brewing like commander decks, you're there's always like a back of the head, like, "Man, this thing doesn't quite work." I guess I could run Conspiracy, but that card is terrible and also in black. But, like, here's the one that you can just run to, like, make all sorts of nonsense work. So it's going to be a really cool casual card, too. That's it. I don't have to say anything else right now about Maskwood Nexus. Uh, My number four is Pyre of Heroes. Two for an artifact. Two tap, sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a creature card that shares a creature type with the sacrifice creature and has converted mana cost equal to one plus that creature's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. It is a really limited birthing pod, but for at least it is in whatever color you happen to be in. If you can make this work within any creature type, you do get to run this card. It's clunky. I don't know. Maybe it could work with like clerics or something. You've got the four mana guy who like keeps bringing clerics back when you sacrifice clerics so i don't know you know what card this works really well with hmm. mask with nexus realm walker realm walker because <laughs> it, it lets you bridge your mm. creature types if you've got multiple and it also fuels the way to you know put more stuff on the battlefield like it's like two engines that work with each other sure yeah, and I think when this card got spoiled, you know, I I joked in the Discord like, oh yeah, you could bridge this with a changeling. And then it yeah. turned out that we were getting changelings in the set. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Yes. <laughs> so there's potential. It's not obvious to me how you build a Pyre of Heroes deck right now, but The problem the problem with this card, honestly, is that like there are no five mana Phyrexians or five mana Praetors. Yes. <laughs> Well, any five mana changeling. So, Are there five mana changelings? The only one I can think of is a clone. Yeah, there's the clone, right? 
So you have to clone a five mana creature with it. All right, I'm doing a, I'm doing a quick search for five mana changelings, and that is the only one. Oh, brutal! In standard, we certainly got five mana changelings from the before times, but yeah, of course, game trail changeling, my favorite changeling of all time. Yeah. Just a happy little moose, jelly moose. Yeah, so can't pyre of heroes into Vorinclex. That's pretty sad, but I, there's a bunch of neat things you can do with it. I'm sure. You just we'll have to slowly figure those out over time. Uh, my number three is the World Tree. It probably should have been my number one too. I don't know what it's going to do, but I am excited to see the people who are better at brewing these sorts of things than I am come up with the things that it can do. So, uh, my number two is Port of Carfell. This is the blue-black reanimating land that comes into play tapped. It's the only one of those that made my list. I, I, it does seem to me to be the most powerful effect of them, and I do like that you can EOT it to get... Uh, you know, if you end of turn get a Dream Trawler in play with it, like, that's pretty good, I think. So, there's... You're really living at that point. I mean, you are. Like, this, you're in really good shape. It's even better if you don't have anything in your graveyard and you mill into the Dream Trawler. Might, I don't have anything going on. Might as well do this. <laughs> uh, my number one is just Weathered Runestone. This is just the hate card of the set. Uh, I love that they made it uncommon. Like, you know, they, they took their Damping Sphere model, which I appreciate very much. This is two mana for an artifact. Non-land permanent cards in graveyards and libraries can't enter the battlefield. Players can't cast spells from graveyards or libraries. So a lot of this, a lot of decks are just going to run Graftigger's Cage over this because it does most of what it does. And as long as it covers the things you care about, then yeah, you'll run the one mana version. But this covers a few extra things. And also costing two is not too bad if you're an ancient tomb deck and particularly like if you're an ancient tomb chalice deck then you may just rather have weathered runestone than Crafter's cage even if it's not covering anything else but you know this is a solid hate card that does a little extra and is colorless so it'll see a lot of play over time yeah kind of depends on what kind of ancient tomb deck you are because if you're playing mystic forge you're not even interested in Crafter's cage yeah, but I don't think every Ancient Tomb deck is a Mystic Forge deck. No, but most Ancient Tomb decks don't really... They, like, lock you out in different ways where they don't care about, like, this sort of effect. Like, it's a Blood Moon stuff or Chalice stuff. Sure, like it, but if you're doing Dredge stuff, this might be, like, the cleanest way to stop that, you know? But, yeah, just a hate card. Nothing exciting, and... Probably good for it to exist. Yeah, it's fine. I think it's just mostly outclassed by Grafter's Cage. Like, I, I've played against Grafter's Cage where Grafter's Cage didn't quite get it done. Mm -hmm. But most of that was because I was at, like, Academy Ruins or something, which this doesn't stop either. Yeah. And it's, like, hard to find places where you put artifacts or enchantments into play, which is mostly what this shuts off instead of Grafter's Cage. Because everything else that does Grafter's Cage also does. Yeah, I mean, this shuts down that three mana haste guy that brings back your auras for a turn can't do that with a weathered runestone in play <laughs> yeah it was tearing up the metagame for too long <laughs> thank goodness weathered runestone is here two sets too late um not a great card but it's a hate card that we'll see some amount of play 
in every format, so that's why it's there. It'll see a lot more of its play after Grafter's Cage rotates, if there's a graveyard deck, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the fact that we just have this available in Standard is really good, so... Yeah, I I think cards like this should generally always be available in Standard. Yep. Much like Sorcerer's Spyglass. Yeah, I love Sorcerer's Spyglass, man. Me too. I like Pithing Needle more still, because I hate people seeing my hand. But I get that that effect can't be one mana all the time. Yeah, and I... I mean, I, I get that I don't like having to show my hand to my opponent and then they get that knowledge. I like the, my opponent is playing a couple different Planeswalkers. I get to look at their hand and then make my decision and I've paid a mana for that privilege. Like, it, it like that's more of like a standard concern, I feel like, but it does just, it, it, it makes that card like feel better to run out. Like, it sucks if they have two different solid, like, four-mana Planeswalkers and you had a chance to play Pithing Needle and then they play the other Planeswalker. I guess Pithing Needle being one mana means that that's less of a concern, but... Eh. Hey, cards are good. Yeah, hey, cards are good to have. World Tree, though, it's the true number one. Number one in our hearts. That's what matters. Number one in Ali Antrasi's heart. Well, yeah, but I'm sure he probably doesn't even have a number one. He just probably doesn't have Vorticlex at number one. <laughs> oh my god, Ali's gonna hate Vorticlex because it's gonna happen all the time, and he's not gonna be the one casting Vorticlex. Nope. But you know, if you want to be on the right side of history, you gotta start casting the Vorticlexes. Yep, I may be. Farming some ladder rank with just casting Vorinclex off a of Castle Garenbrig early in this format. I expect it's going to be good for the entirety of the format. I expect to play like a bunch of various elf decks and do kind of medium until I cast Vorinclex <laughs> in those same decks <laughs> and just like finish every game with Vorinclex. I honestly, it's like so even if it didn't have synergies in the elf deck, it would be worth playing because it's like the best thing you can spend six mana on. But also, like, you've just got Planeswalkers and Sagas in your deck, and it just makes them really, really good. Your Planeswalker Look, puts plus one, plus one counters, and also its ultimate wins the game. Like, Also, the Saga is an anthem in the form of plus one, plus one counters. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just nice. It just works. And you put... Oh, no, no. Those aren't minus one, minus one counters from the... Step three no, of the no, saga. They're just minus one minus ones. But yeah, if you like, if you play the elf saga with Vorin clicks in play, you do step one, put maybe a planeswalker in play that then gets double counters, and then you immediately do chapter two and put double plus one plus one counters on all of your stuff. Like Vorin Clex is fantastic in the elf deck. Mostly because it's fantastic in every green deck, but it's certainly good right, like, with you, when you can use it. If, yeah. if you untap with it, it just makes a bunch of your cards totally bonkers. Whew, we made it. We did it. Great, good work. This one wasn't too long, right? No, I mean, these are way easier than the full set reviews, so... You want to do, like, like a, a top five overall for funsies? I mean, I think we can probably, like come to a consensus at least we know that both of our top twos are Vorinclex and Valky slash Tybalt yeah then uh, I mean we could be we could be fun with it I like I like Burgie a lot it'd be number three for me yeah I I mean not in power level I think 
Burgie is probably my favorite card in the set too. So I, interesting that we coincided. So we we haven't even talked. To, we didn't really talk about Burgie at all before this. Mm -hmm. We just both really like it. Well, it's just like cards we both like. I, I like just storming, making mana stuff, mm -hmm. and you're fine with that as well. Yeah, I mean, I like I like storming as long as I'm doing it in an unnecessarily complicated way, which Burgie is. And then, I don't know. I probably like Egan as number four. That's like one of my favorite cards in the set. Yeah, and that one's gonna go way back. Like that has implications in every single format because um, it's two low mana cost cards that are both potentially really powerful in the right deck. And then finish it off for number five with Doomscar. Yeah, that card is really good. It is. It's not sexy, but it is good. And it really like dwarfs all the other white cards in the set. We get a solid one good white card, one really good white card in every set. Doomscar, Skyclave Apparition, Elspeth Conquers Death, you know. I mean, to be honest, that's a pretty good rate because not every set for the last like five years has had a good white card in it. I know, but like it's a really good white card. One really good one and then mostly unplayables. I hope we get more in the vein of Skyclave Apparitions going forward. Mm -hmm. Just like eternal playable white cards would be nice. Yeah. But, you know, this is a step in the right direction. I mean, Doomscar is definitely going to have impact in Historic and Pioneer. If anybody plays Pioneer anymore. But it's a good card in Pioneer, I believe. Yeah, I don't know what Pioneer is, but sure, it's certainly definitely Historic. <laughs> is that a wrap? Yeah, I think that's it for us. Um, thanks everybody so much for sticking around for that whole thing. We really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Come get some merch, hang out in the Discord, that sort of thing. Your support means a lot to us. If you want to find us online, we are on social media. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. And Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Thanks so much for listening. And... Have a great week. Bye.